in a world where Mad Lab Theater. What are you doing? Making the Mad Lab ad for Cinema Wheeler Tay. Oh, here's my other one. Susan thought it was just another day, and then she met Mad Lab. Why don't you just say that Mad Lab is the new works theater in downtown Columbus, featuring hilarious comedies, powerful dramas, improv with FFN, the annual Young Writers Festival, and the longest running shorts festival in central Ohio, Theater Roulette. That sounds pretty awesome, especially when I do it over the Star Wars theme. Star Wars is always a good choice. Mad Lab, the original. For more information, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or visit us at madlab.net. Cinema Wheeler Tay. It's uh, Sean, Tony, and Scott yet again. Hey, welcome hey, back. Hello. Hey, and we're joined by a very special guest, somebody we've been trying to get on, for, or we've been talking about having on for a long time. We couldn't wait to have on. Uh, we always say it's one of our favorite people, but this is certainly, I think, a consensus among the three of us, one of our favorite people from uh, Hashtag Comedy and Other Adventures, <laughs> Mr. Paul Stelzer. Well, thank you. I've, I've always enjoyed talking movies with all of you from Wheeler Brothers and with Tony and this one in particular is one that we have uh, talked quite a, quite a bit about leading up to this so yeah I'm, I'm very glad to be here and honored to be a part of the show exactly yeah. we can actually make a use of it now right, like, right. <laughs> and I'm very excited too because I have a big crush on one of Paul's alter, alter egos that's right, Chick Valentine. Chick Valentine. Yeah. So I kind of feel like Chick Valentine's here with me, so I'm pretty excited. Yeah, Chick Valentine. I think I think Silence of the Lambs might be a little uh, too in depth for Chick Valentine, but uh, you know, like he's he's more into like uh, like slapstick yeah. comedies. Like slap, <laughs> Slapshot would probably be Chick Valentine's best favorite movie ever. So, yeah. There you go. There you go. That would be a, that would be a fun like uh, podcast within a podcast. We have Chick Valentine doing Slapshot in character, right. and we're listening to that. You know, uh, I would be in heaven. But uh, as Paul mentioned, the, the movie we are going over today is from 1991. It's The Silence of the Lambs, uh, and. Um, I know that Paul, in particular, this is probably your favorite movie of all time, right? Yeah, when I'm asked the question, what's your all-time favorite movie, I can't think of anything that is more powerful than this movie. I mean, I'm, we have known each other through the improv comedy scene, and um, so I love comedies, but... And I'm not... In, and I sometimes bristle when people put this in the horror genre because it's so much deeper yeah, than that. I when I hear it. horror, I think of Friday the yeah. 13th and... Um, slasher movies and Nightmare on Elm Street and this is just so much more of what I like to call the psychological thriller and the crime scene genre that has become so popular in the new century with CSI and all of those type of TV shows this is just it's the ultimate crime film and the the acting the directing everything is just so superb that it's uh, it's the one that comes to mind when somebody says if you have to pick one movie what's your favorite this is it for me 
What was the first time uh, you came across the movie? Like your your first impression? Like how did you first hear about it? What, what was your first impression when you saw it? it? It was. It obviously got a lot of attention. I was. It, it came out in '91, and I and researching for this show, it was released nationally on Valentine's Day, 1991. Whoa, so you can imagine weird. the. Uh, Hey, honey, a great let's go date see movie. Yeah, let's go watch this. And so, and I and I was a little bit late to the to the action. I did not see it when it first came out. I think I actually saw it after it had swept the Oscars. So I had not seen it in its first year of release. Had not seen it in the theater and in my dorm room as a. I think it was my junior year. Watched it on VHS, but watched it on a. Um, cold, dreary night with the lights turned out in my dorm room, and it was like what was Paul doing? Well, it's like I, I was I was not alone, but yeah, I was I, I was watching with a couple other guys, and I just remember thinking that it just give you it's one of those movies that just gives you chills as you as you watch it and some of the twists and turns and the power. Again, I always go back to the power of the acting to see Anthony Hopkins at the pinnacle of his career, who really was not a household name before this. Jodie Foster was a household name, but to see her take, you know, to rise to the... I, I can't think of anything that either of them has done that's any better than this. Obviously, they both won the Academy Award for Best Acting for this movie, but it's not just those two. When you talk about Buffalo Bill, Ted Levine, and the the job that he does is so phenomenal. It's It, it was too small of a role and probably too creepy of a role to get a nomination, but I feel like that's one of those landmark roles that is the role of a lifetime that he just nailed. And, and each of the bit characters throughout the movie, it's just uh, just a great great job all the way around. Yeah. I remember the first time I, I heard about this movie, I remember I was in junior high, like seventh grade, I think, when this movie came out. And I remember the trailers were coming out pretty frequently, and I didn't know much about the movie, but you saw the trailers a lot. And I was like, wow, this movie looks intense. I don't know what's, exactly what's going on. I don't see any lambs. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, right. The title's confusing me, too. So what, what's going on? You know, I didn't understand metaphor. You know, I wasn't into metaphors when I was in seventh grade. This, 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 the promotion for this movie buries the lead so hard. Yeah. Because if you look at the poster, it says Silence of the Lambs, and it's Jodie Foster's face with a butterfly over her mouth. Yeah. What the? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's just a picture of all the, like, the... You know, yeah, they, they, they're talking about lambs, but they're showing butterflies. Yeah, yeah they're showing butterflies, and and they are in the movie for yeah, sure, absolutely. But they're re, they're revelations of the movie. It's almost like they put the spoilers and and the uh, and that's kind of cool that the title doesn't directly reference. It's not like it's not it's, called Hannibal uh, or you know right like, right Hannibal the Cannibal or and I love it because it's literate. You know, like I actually love the the title. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you're promoting this as a horror film. And I know that at the time, I don't think it um, happened prior to the movie. We could probably get into this later. But I do know that serial killers were becoming very much in vogue that year for very specific reasons. But um, my mom went to see it. My mom doesn't really go to see horror films too often. Not that this is your classic horror horror film. But I remember my mom came back from seeing with her friends, like, I have to tell you guys about the Silence of the Lands movie. And this is, it's really scary, but it's really good and Anthony Hopkins is amazing in this and he he puts on one of the best performances I've ever seen and just like really raving about the movie so recently I I turned to her saying we were doing this soon right so I was expecting the same kind of accolades and she goes oh that movie was scary I I couldn't sit through it I don't don't know what was going on (laughs) so I'm like I must have completely misremembered you know completely 
boggled my memory because I remember her raving about it when she she came back. I mean, I think she respects it as a as a film, but it's not something she would probably watch every day because right, it right. is intense. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that was my first impression. Then I finally saw it. I I, oh, I I knew I didn't really see it until later on, like as in its entirety. You would only see snippets of it. And I felt like I had seen it already before I saw it because it was so much ingrained in the culture at that point. But when I actually sat down and watched it, I said, yeah, this is a very well-crafted movie. I could easily see why this one... You know, because movies like this aren't usually winning Academy Awards across the board, you know. They might get some respect, but this really swept the Oscars in 91. It won the five major awards. Right, right. Uh, It was Best Picture... Best actor and best actress, and I think best director and best adapted screen. Right, like five for five. Your favorite movie and my favorite movie have that in common. My favorite movie is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Right, it had right. the same results. So <laughs> that's a nice little tie-in with with us on that. It's um, ironic because for a long time um, I did list that movie as one of my all-time favorites, and and probably would have if if you had asked me the question. Before I saw Silence of the Lambs, I probably would have said One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest because oh. I love Nicholson and I and I think I saw it not that around that same time, like in the mm-hmm. late eighties, early nineties, when I was in college, and and that was another one that just you know stays with you long after you've seen it. It's it's so powerful, and yeah, and just the little fun trivia that it's those two movies and it happened one night as the third. Those are the only three movies ever. Yeah. to win all five of those major Academy Awards and it happened one night I have to admit I haven't seen but it's a Capra film with uh, yeah, Clark Gable, Clark, Clark Gable from the yeah. 30s so. well, I'll have to check that out eventually too I have not yeah. seen it happen one <laughs> I night I like Frank Capra I know you would probably really enjoy it actually Tony yeah and Clark Gable I mean you know what's not to love right right but but between Clark Gable and Buffalo Bill, who would you pick? <laughs> well, it depended on what we were doing. I mean, you know, if we were going out dancing or something, I think Clark would be a little better suited to that. If, moving the couch? If we're moving the couch, I, I would probably want Buffalo Bill's help. I mean, I, I imagine he's very experienced in that field. And um, No, no just picture Clark Gable as Buffalo Bill, which would be great. <laughs> hey, little lady, what are you doing in these premises? <laughs> Nothing to see here. Can you help me with my sofa? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I think my first encounter with this movie, I, in 1991, I was, depending on the time of the year, I was six, give or take. <laughs> um, but I remember hearing about this movie and knowing about it at the time that it had come out I, I hadn't seen it obviously I was just too young and if I did I don't really remember and I wouldn't have gotten it but um, and it's funny that you mentioned the cover of the movie Scott because that is the image that I just have ingrained in my mind about Signs of the Lambs I, I saw the cover of the movie at the video store mm-hmm. you know you'd see it on TV you know you'd always see Jodie Foster with, with the butterflies so I would call it the butterfly movie because I thought it was about butterflies I didn't know and I don't actually think I'd seen it in its entirety until, until I was maybe in high school and of course I loved it I thought it was well done that was really great and um, it definitely was a thriller. It did. It wasn't like a. I wouldn't have considered it a horror movie. Like it didn't scare me, but the part where she goes to Buffalo Bill's house, right? You know, that, that is very thrilling. You know, and you're on the edge of your seat, and then when you realize that the cops are at the wrong house, spoiler alert. Right, right. Uh, it does get really intense in that moment, and 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 you're with Clarice, and you're feeling, you know, all these things for her, hoping that she makes it out okay. 
But um, but I just thought it was was really well done. I mean, Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. He as Hannibal Lecter is what's really chilling. Yes. It, it's like unnerving. I wouldn't say that it's like terrifying. It's not. It doesn't scare me in the same way that Freddy Krueger scares me, which is probably a bad comparison. Because Freddy Krueger's not even. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's Freddy Krueger, but he scares me. But like Anthony Hopkins, like he just gets under your skin. You know, it's like he gets inside of you. You kind of feel like you're with Clarice a little bit. Like you, you feel like he's toying with your mind too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's so he's so yeah. sharp, so perceptive, and you know that he's always going to be the smartest person in the room. And the way he is able to dissect <laughs> and analyze Clarice in that first encounter and, and the subsequent subsequent yes. encounters, kind of knowing each little detail that she's trying to hide and uncovering all these little. Um, Parts of her backstory—it's—it's mm-hmm. it's fascinating. He's kind of like uh, a supervillain in this movie. I mean, yeah. he's just—he's almost like there's—he's seeing fifteen steps ahead. Mm-hmm. You know, he's uh, incredibly resourceful. He could take yeah. down a whole army of cops just with his mind and oh tricks <laughs> and biting them in the face. <laughs> and I think a lot of like the Joker, a lot of the portrayals of the jo- Heath Ledger's Joker, I think, took a lot from this. That's interesting, yeah. yeah. I, I also think that you know Hannibal Lecter took cues from Jack Nicholson's. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> More Buffalo Bill from that. Yeah. You know, than, than, yeah. uh, but um, what was I going to say? Uh, what was your first impression of this movie? How did you first come across? Well, I did remember Mom coming back. I don't know. For some reason, she was bringing back the. She was being evangelical about this movie. Yeah, she was. I remember that. <laughs> Directly, my mom was praising well, this movie. What she, was, what she said is that Anthony Hawk. What's scary wasn't that there was like it's just the way Anthony Hopkins when he talked. It was yeah. Just like yeah. This underlying, it was very chilling. like a chilling creepiness. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember that. It took me a long time to see this movie because I was just yeah. like, I don't. Because you about, don't like horror movies. Oh, I, cannibalism! I was like, oh, I'm going to see someone eat <laughs> someone's face and brains. And I actually saw the, I actually saw the sequel, the Hannibal, Hannibal, where you actually eat someone's brain in that movie. Yeah, which is far gorier, I think, than far gorier. this movie. Okay. Not nearly as good. No, I don't know what your opinion on it, but and uh, I guess there was this is a sequel to a movie. Before, right? Yeah. Well, I think Manhunter was the first yeah, one that came yeah. out, that, and then yeah, there's been. And I have to admit, I've not seen all of them. And this, this, and part of me doesn't want to see all of them because I feel like nothing can rise to the level of, yes, of this, yeah. of Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, it was, um, what happened with this is, uh, Scott's right, Manhunter, and you're right, Manhunter came out in like the late 80s. It was directed by Michael Mann, you know, the director, right, Michael Mann. And Brian Cox, you know, the actor Brian Cox in Rushmore, he plays the principal of the school. Oh, okay. He played, um... And for anybody who's seen X Men X Two X Men United, he plays the Striker character mm-hmm. that goes after Wolverine. But um, he was the original Hannibal Lecter. He played Hannibal in in Manhunter, which I haven't seen either. Like it's just one of those things I just never got around to seeing it. But then this was made. Then they Ridley Scott directed Hannibal, uh, which was a sequel to this, which is more of a straight horror film, kind of like schlocky. Like yeah. I, that's my understanding. I haven't seen Hannibal yeah. in its entirety, but. It, I know it was kind of schlockier, and Julianne Moore replaced right. Jodie Foster, who turned it down. Because I guess they made Clarice like like a semi-cannibal, too, in the movie, and she didn't like that angle No, of the I don't think it would be... Um, which I don't, actually, when I think about it, too. And then they remade Hey Manhunter as 
Red Dragon, which was the original Thomas Harris novel with Lecter. Right. And the Scott Glenn character in this was played by Edward Norton in that okay. as a younger version. And it was called Red Dragon, which was the original name I, of the I remember the when novel. that came out. Yeah. That movie. That was okay. Like, I saw Red Dragon. It was it was fine. It wasn't on the level of mm-hmm. this, but it's passable as as a, a decent movie, you know. Right. Um, Isn't there a TV show? Yeah, yeah, that's the biggest thing. Is like there was a critically acclaimed television series about Hannibal that aired on NBC for like three seasons. What was it called? Oh, it was called Hannibal. Yeah. Actually, the whole movie. I should have guessed. <laughs> they, they, didn't, they didn't leave much to the imagination. It wasn't already like Silence of the Lambs. They said this is the Hannibal. Yeah, show. Yeah, Mads Mikkelsen and who's a great actor. Gillian Anderson is in it. Oh, does she play Clarice? Uh, she looks like she probably plays like a. I know. I'm not going to speak on it because I know nothing about the <laughs> yeah. show. But I know uh, it has a huge following. People love the show. It was critically acclaimed. It has a cult following. And people love Mickelson's Lecter because it's the younger Lecter when he mm-hmm. was first starting out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like him as an actor, too, so I'm not surprised. It's just hard because Anthony Hopkins has become the definitive version of Lecter for so many people, you know, it's kind of like Bella Lugosi's Dracula. You know, other right. people can play Dracula, but people are always going to go back to that Bella Lugosi. You know who was a really scary Dracula? Even to this day, not just when I was like a five-year-old kid when I'd first seen it, but have you ever seen the movie The Monster Squad? <laughs> I have not. Okay, no. listen, that was one of my favorite childhood <laughs> movies. It's amazing. It was on Netflix like two years ago, and I was so excited I made Scott watch it with me. But the actor who plays Dracula in The Monster Squad, I'll... After the podcast, I'll show you guys a photo. He really is, and he plays him really frightening. Like, but he's this good-looking guy. You know how Dracula was always kind of good-looking. You right. know, he wasn't like scary really dashing. himself. Like, yes, yeah. this guy. Elegant. Yes, he's very elegant and sophisticated and uh, very regal. But he played just really scary. Like even as an adult, you watch him. It's like. That guy looks like he is Dracula. You know, like one of those kinds of things. I honestly thought you were going to see Bram Stoker's Dracula or something no. like that when he said the monster squad. Like, oh, that was not what I was anticipating with that. I thought that's where you were going to. Everybody yeah. else, if you've yeah. seen the monster squad, connect on Facebook. Let us know what you think about the guy who played Dracula. I think he was really scary. I'll have to check this out now and see. I'll show you a clip afterwards. Dracula. I mean, he makes a good Dracula. Definitely. Uh, what do you guys think uh, on that topic of the villain? Uh, I want to talk about Lecter first because he's probably the big, the biggest character to come out of this film. Um, you guys were mentioning earlier that you thought Lecter was scarier than Buffalo Bill, and I actually, I, I love the character and the performance of Lecter. I think he's a fantastic character, and all eyes are drawn on him. But Buffalo Bill weirds me out in a different way. I feel him find him creepy. I don't find mm-hmm. Lecter creepy. He's more intimidating, you know. Mm-hmm. But. Bill, there's something off-putting about Buffalo Bill, like because they that that guy commits all the way. That's that's not an easy character for any actor to play because it's it's like almost you have to put all vanity out the window for that one, you know. Yeah, he's completely disturbed. Yeah, he's very disturbed. I, and at the same time, I, I mean, maybe it's from having worked in the television news business. I feel yeah. like the the character of Buffalo Bill is a lot more real. Yeah, like, yeah. Like I I think that the not that there aren't these high level mastermind um, serial killers like Lecter out there but I think there are a lot more of the just creep you out serial killers out there in the real world that yeah, yeah that, that you, when you if you were able to ever able to get into the, the files of the FBI and see the worst of the worst in terms of crime scene photos I mean that's that's a real thing that's out there somebody mm-hmm. like Buffalo Bill 
He has good taste in music, though. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I want to say this too on the top of Buffalo Bill. When he's in drag, he looks just like David Lee Roth. Yes, <laughs> like a eunuch David Lee Roth. Yeah. <laughs> he would be. He would hate that comparison. That guy. Someone needs but... to. He needs to like go see Mary Kay or something. Someone's got to teach him how to do makeup. Right, right. Because he has not mastered that skill. <laughs> Well, I heard that the the infamous dance scene was not part of the script, but it was part of the original novel when he's dancing and yeah, um, the talk yeah, and the talk in front of the in front of the mirror and talking to himself, and it's uh yeah that that is you know one of the indelible images in oh, movie history it's been yeah so many times. yeah and it's it's, it's, like... a, it's kind of a bummer that it has become kind of a yeah. cliche, but it's just uh so eerie and so spooky and in terms of like letting go of vanity and and uh and humility he i read that um ted levine took two shots of tequila before filming that i can scene. imagine because it's it's one the of those ones where you're to yeah to have that courage to get completely naked do that yeah. scene and let everything go you know like all of your inhibitions <laughs> go out the window that's probably why he kind of sounds a little slurred when he's like yeah. would you uh, you know how it's kind <laughs> right. of i mean maybe that yeah and, and in terms of the casting of his, I know we've gotten off track because we want to talk about Lecter first. Well, but, it's but they're tied together. Yeah, it's not Buffalo Bill. Well, yeah, 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 Demi said that they saw literally hundreds of actors auditioning for the Buffalo Bill character, and none of them—they were all great actors, but none of them were connecting. None of them were terrifying. And then Ted Levine comes in, and they said the room was silent. There was—it was, it was a terrifying presence. The way yeah. he. He was able to nail that character just in the audition, and they and his voice like makes you kind of cringe a little, yeah, you know that yeah. like that southern deep, it, that really deep sort of southern voice. It, it just makes you like really uncomfortable. It stayed with him too because yeah. everything that I've ever seen him in since he's got that that deep voice that you immediately think of Buffalo Bill when you hear his voice and when he's acting in anything else. I think. But, it's hard, I mean, because this movie is so indelible and it's become a classic, it's hard when you've played a character like Buffalo Bill, which is going to make an impression on audiences when they see it, to get out of that, that to get away from people looking at you as, oh, that's Buffalo Bill. You know, you're always going right, to say that right. when you see Ted Levine and anything else. Um, and that's and a great performance. Like, it really oh is. Goodness. Like, I'm surprised. he. I don't know if he was nominated for this or not, but I think he should have been. Actually. Yeah, I, I don't think he was, and I think it's it's an injustice if he wasn't, but I think yeah. it's one of those ones where the Academy is still, even back then and maybe even to this day, a little bit, a little sketchy about nominating such a, such a despicable or scary, terrifying presence to be, have a possibility to win that award. But, yeah, yeah. I, think, I mean, his acting... And, and maybe not not enough screen time, but I feel like I, I I don't know what won best supporting actor that year or who won it, but it's hard to imagine anybody be giving a more powerful performance than what he did yeah. in that role. And I mean, even for as little screen time as he had, so much of the Buffalo Bill commentary is is reused all the time. You know, puts the lotion on the skin or else right, it gets the right. yeah. I saw that in Family Guy. I mean, you know, you just you see. The, for whatever reason, the Buffalo Bill stands out in some ways more than Hannibal Lecter in terms of culture and people like the like the the dance scene that was in like Jay and Silent Bob. A lot of people redo that scene, and it just seems like Buffalo Bill is kind of like um, immortalized in that way. Where even though he had a small amount of time, it was such a big impact that people don't forget 
the things that you know happen. Well, I, I think in a way, I think he has more of a cult following because I think when you see this, we pick up like all of us pick up on things that Buffalo Bill's doing and they're quirky and offbeat, and we're drawn to it. But I definitely think in the mainstream, Helen Lecter got so many parodies and so much attention. Oh, right. I mean, over time, I think I that think, he probably. I think they both did. I mean, I think I've seen more Lecter definitely took off in a way that few characters do in pop culture, though. Like I think he's. Wouldn't you say that? Like, because when like that movie came out, Lecter was the only thing people remember talking about. I'm talking about like spoofs and like parodies and things that people. Like, like, redo. Like, you see a lot of the Hello Clarice stuff, but there's so much Buffalo Bill stuff out there just in the small amount of time that Buffalo Bill had. Like, I think it, it that just game's seems like... being more at... I remember when the movie came out, it was... I was 10, so I can't yeah. Right, right. But I remember in the beginning, there yeah. was a lot of Anthony Hopkins because he was winning. But as more people saw the movie... Mm-hmm. It started getting more. That's probably out. true. Like gradually. By the time you so saw it, everybody time. was just doing yeah, Buffalo Bill. Right? Yeah, and I think that's so ingrained. When all the Lecter parodies that came out in '91 and '92 were all over the place. Like I'm yeah. sure on shows like SNL and The Simpsons. Like it was just it was all over the place. Like Hello yeah. Clarice, Ryan yeah, stuff was like, everywhere. Yeah, I think it all beans, was. Yeah. all that yeah, stuff the, was constantly yeah. referenced. The quotable lines. Yeah, the liver and fava beans and, yeah. Yeah. and the census taker, and then. I think, like in terms of pop culture, I I am not one hundred percent sure on this, but I think the Academy Awards following the release of this movie, they actually wheeled out Billy Crystal on the two wheeler with a yes. mask on. It was like yeah, that that scene, um, him and just dressed in all white. Those yeah. those kind of images of Hannibal Lecter yeah. became yeah so prevalent in pop yeah. culture. But yeah, they both have obviously been parodied yeah. and quoted yeah. and homaged time and time again yeah I, I think that's I think you're absolutely right like I think with Tony you got at something too which is initially Hannibal Lecter was this big iconic character as big as Heath Ledger's Joker was when that came out I think it was almost the equivalent of that it was a water cooler character that everyone talked mm-hmm. about um, but I think over time Buffalo Bill has built in a reputation as something that they reference because the movie's so popular yeah. That, well, I guess uh, what I'm, I guess in a way I'm kind of defending Buffalo Bill. Like, I guess I'm just trying to say I think he's just. And he's a worthy of defense. I yes. think. <laughs> well, I guess my what I'm saying is, especially now, you know, being how many years later, I think he's just as worthy of being memorable as Hannibal Lecter. Like, I think mm-hmm. he's just as strong of a character as Hannibal Lecter. I'm not saying that I think Ted Levine's a better actor or anything like that. I'm just saying I think the characters themselves are both so unique and so scary in their own ways. That I don't think anyone expected Buffalo Bill yeah. to be so memorable. You know, they wanted him to be this creepy, weird killer, yeah. and that was that. But he kind of took on this whole new life, like Hannibal Lecter did. Well, they went all the you way know, with like, it too. That's probably why it stood out because of because that it's scene. like I think that scene yeah, is what really that, tipped it over the edge. Like, I think I think that's what's great about this movie. It has two yeah. amazing villains in the movie, yeah. and a lot of crime sh- crime they have like serial killers, but. These the two actors really give it a lot of theatri- theatricality, a lot of like interesting things. They're not just like, you know, you know, just like I just kill people and I'm gonna be arrested. It's more about finding out where this guy is. You know, it's more about right. the plot. They made interesting characters, and you still have the the plot about the movie is trying to find where Buffalo Bill is. Mm-hmm. But you have this interesting character to make the movie interesting as you're you know, finding that out. Like, that's what's so strong about it. It's not like... And we also get it, like, in... in, We also get the opportunity to kind of connect with 
each one of the villains. Mm-hmm. We learn a little bit more about Hannibal Lecter and his background and why he is the way that he is, and we kind of develop feelings for him. Feelings, be that of that may, whatever you want to say, positive, negative, scared, whatever, there is like an attachment to him. Same thing with Buffalo Bill. Mm-hmm. As, as Hannibal kind of uncovers a little bit more about Buffalo Bill's background and we learn more about him and why he's making the women's suit and all these different things, not that you sympathize with him in any way, shape, or form, but you kind of connect with him a little bit. And so you get really invested in, in all three, Clarice, Lecter, and Buffalo Bill. I think Buffalo Bill's kind of inscrutable, though. Like, I don't know if we're supposed to relate to him too much. Like, Lecter, we do because of that connection with Clarice. He's humanized through that. Right. Not humanized, with, but, but like, oh, I kind of trust Lecter in a way because even though he's a serial killer and a maniac... And probably just as dangerous in his own way as Buffalo Bill. Probably more. Yeah. He's honest. I guess he's more comfortable with who he is. Right. Lecter is completely comfortable mm-hmm. with who he is. He's an egomaniac, actually. Well, well uh, since we see the movie through Clarice's eyes, mm-hmm. she knows she's safe with Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. She says, I'm not worried because mm-hmm. he would think that would be rude. Yeah. yeah. You know, right. To, to actually come after yeah. her. He has, yeah. like, a code. He does. He's not yeah. interested. And even says, like, the world's more interesting of you in it. You know? He's when, not... Yeah, and that last phone call. Has, yeah, no, I'm not saying that we relate to Buffalo Bill. I'm just saying the way that the story is told, by the time that we get exposed to him in that moment with him and Clarice, like, we're invested in these characters. Buffalo Bill has become real to us. He's not just a weird, creepy psycho killer that we know nothing about. We only see the victims. You see that a lot in movies where you don't really know much about the killer. You don't really see the killer that much. You just see the killings. Right, yeah. right, this right, right, different. right. This right. is different. Like, we're... He's like letting it all out, literally, you know, figuratively. I mean, yeah. we are like connecting with him in a way as an audience. Not that we're relating to him, but we're seeing more inside of his world than I no, think. I love that too. I think yeah, we I do with with a lot of other psycho killers and stuff like that. Yeah. Same thing with Lecter, but with Lecter, we are connecting because we're connecting through Clarice. Yeah. She's our vehicle of being able to connect with Elector on that level where we as an audience also don't feel threatened by him. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. You know I agree I mean? with that. I completely see what you're getting at. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that aspect too, which is they're actually showing us the the victim and the kidnapper together mm-hmm. interacting. Yeah. And that, I like that so much more than when you just have a generic serial killer that you never see until the very end, yeah. like a whodunit. Right. Yeah. I like right. that we see who he is. Yeah. We don't know his name. But I like yeah. that we see him as a character because that fleshes out the enjoyment of the movie so much more. And this puts it on a much bigger level, much Absolutely. higher level than the average crime thriller because yeah. that is fleshed out. We get really invested. Even in Catherine Martin, we don't really know her very much, but we all sympathize and feel sorry for her um, in the situation that she's in. You know, we're hoping that she does get saved. Yeah, and, she, yeah. and she's you know, like, out of her, the goodness of her heart is mm. reeled into this, you know, with the, the couch scene that we've How talked about so many times. How did it go, Paul? Where he's struggling to get that couch into the back of his head. How did it go? We've talked about this many times, and, and it's not really a joking oh, matter in real life. But So Paul but and I, we have been known on occasion to reenact this scene <laughs> together. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, it's, it's the scene where you had uh, Catherine Martin, played by Brooke Smith, is driving home, and she's got... Uh, Tom Petty playing. Yeah, it's an American girl. Uh-huh. and, and yeah, that I love that, by the way. I'm a yeah, big Petty fan. She's so. singing along, and um, and that's that. in watching that, I, I watched it again this week to, to refresh my memory of all the little moments in the film and that is the reveal of Buffalo Bills when she's driving home mm-hmm. and the, the first shot of him in the entire movie is him with the night vision goggles yeah. on yeah. And, and he's watching as she drives her. up um, she has she says hello to her little cat as she gets out of the out of the car mm-hmm. the cat's up in the window and realizes that Buffalo Bill is is struggling to get that couch into the that van. into the van right and, hey uh, mister you need help with that? Oh, that'd be nice. I'm stru- I'm kind of, you look, you look kind of handicapped there. You know? yeah, like, yeah. So, How about, it, what does he say? He's like, get, get in the truck. I'm gonna push it in. He, he yeah, he, he said, can you get a little further up there? I want to get it all the way to the back. You know, and he, yeah. um, she climbs in, and he, you know, he's, he's that. They, they've, I've read that he based or that the character was based on three serial killers, including Ted Bundy. And when you were talking yeah. about the um, ethos of serial killer and the fascination with serial killers at that time, he had been big in the news when I was in mm-hmm. high school in the 80s, and I think that's when he was finally executed, was in the late 80s. That was one of the characters, because one of his tools in his uh, arsenal for like, kidnapping and eventually killing women was to wear a cast and to... to prey on the Good Samaritan mm-hmm. um, values of people and right. he'd walk out of the library, drop his books on camp, one of the campuses in Florida, they'd come to help and he'd bang him over the head, knock him yeah. out and kidnap him and that's kind of what yeah, Buffalo Bill does in that scene. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, you were size 14? Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. mean to laugh about all these kind of gruesome okay. elements, but he's okay. like, he's, he's like, are you, yeah, yeah. What, what are you, a size 14? And, she, and then when he, after he knocks her out, he cuts open yes, her shirt and much. it says size 14. He's like, Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Uh-huh. So he's basically shopping. He's, yeah. Right. yeah. He's basically shopping. He knows what he wants. Shopping he's for the yes. right size. And, and it's, I know it's, it, there, there are so many things, and kind of the one of the themes of the entire movie is kind of sexism and objectification yeah. of women and kind of Clarice trying, trying to fight her way through a, mm-hmm. a world that's dominated by men. And there, but there's so many... Um, there's so much writing in this that is so quotable, like the the size 14 line, yeah. and um, even Lecter when he asks about one of the vet victims, was she a, a big girl? You know, big through the thighs, roomy. You know, it's like these all these quotable lines from <laughs> yeah, such a well written script. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the Bundy uh, angle too, because uh, I think that's the first person that comes to mind with Buffalo Bill is Ted Bundy especially the kidnapping the women specifically and everything. And funny, I, I heard a side note story recently that Debbie Harry from Blondie was picked up by Ted Bundy in New York. She actually what? said this. Yeah. Wow. She said that she got into a car, and there was a weird guy, and he said there was this weird, awful stench in the car. And she got in, and she noticed there wasn't a handle on the door or anything, so she quickly, I think she, he swerved or something in the car, and she was able to get out. But I thought that was incredible. Oh, like oh like one of the gosh. most famous rock stars probably at that time. Was nearly kidnapped by Ted Bundy. I mean, wow. that's that's how prevalent he must have been in that scene. 
back then that he was even a and Ted Bundy was like a decent looking guy. I remember like he yeah. was yeah, decent he, looking like and he was he was known as the very charming yeah charming good looking mm-hmm. he was a lawyer he made the not that he would have ever gotten away with all his long line of crimes but served as his own defense and loved the attention you know he loved um, being on TV and being in front of the court trying to make the case for his own defense and um, yeah the the character of Buffalo Bill they it's said was based on three serial killers. Bundy's the only one that I remember by name, but mm. because of the Good Samaritan aspect of wearing the cast, there was another serial killer that um, that was big about um, skinning his victims. Yeah, and then, and then another one who did who had used a well to keep the victims captive. Uh, yeah, so kind of was like a, a composite of all these notable yeah. serial yeah. killers. Uh, who was um. Uh, it might have been was it Ted what's his name Ted Goins maybe was that, that sounds Ain- familiar yeah. yeah I think that that's who uh, Anthony Perkins was based off of in Psycho okay uh, Bates but um, I know after this movie was released in 91 Jeffrey Dahmer became a prominent fixture yeah. in the media that story broke out and they kept saying real life Silence of the Lambs oh like, right, so right it happened right after that he was a cannibal yeah, yeah. That, that was he about he preyed on time. men though because he yeah. was gay yeah, he that's another him. that's another angle yeah. of parallels to that. Right. But right. every like People magazine or any of the tabloids, they would always the headline would go "Real Life Silence of the Lambs," and it was Jeffrey Dahmer who's mm-hmm. become right, as infamous right. as anybody we're talking about now. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that became just a big theme that probably helped motive bring this movie even further into the uh, public consciousness at the time because when you have that real life story breaking out and they're referencing the movie constantly, it probably helped that become an even bigger. Right, hit right. Than it was, and there was there was a fascination. I was fascinated by the the Dahmer story. It was just so mind blowing the the body parts and the the, the graphic nature of his crimes. He, I was kind of young when when all that happened. He um he had, he would lure younger boys, oftentimes um, of other nationalities, where there was a language barrier. You know, seduce these boys to come back to boys and young men, I should say. To come back to his apartment in Milwaukee and eventually kill and dismember them, and at times eat eat their remains. Eat, and they found like this a, was Ted Bundy. No, this is a I know about this Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, Ted okay. Bundy. Ted, he killed women. Right? Yeah, his De- Ted Bundy was more the uh, preyed on beautiful women, you know, and gotcha. so it was a lot of college women. Um, he uh, and and so his his mode of operation was to kind of lure unsuspecting women into his car into his control kidnap them ultimately kill them but yeah that's that's another this was made for tv movie that was pretty <laughs> i think it was a high mark from mark Harmon. he played the deliberate stranger it, it was uh it aired it was about ted bundy and it's it, uh that's a lot of my knowledge of ted bundy comes from the deliberate stranger i think it was on nbc back in the 80s where yeah, t- that that was part of Ted Bundy Bundy's gift was that he was when you look at him now you don't see it but you know at the time when he was younger he's very good looking man mm-hmm. very charming was able to you know attract mm-hmm. women and then yeah. you know ultimately brutalize them yeah I mean yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer was cannibal and he would keep their body parts yeah yeah I just can, I can still remember the the news footage of them like bringing. Um, 
what looked like a one of those industrial garbage cans out that had a, had its lid on it. And they said that it was filled with the remains of his victims. Because he kept, he always liked to keep their skulls. Yeah. He would like, yeah, and, something to do with the skulls. He would keep them. Yeah, and, and I do remember the fascination, and I and I know it was the summer of '91 because I that was the first year after my first year in college, and I went to visit a friend uh, who lived in Akron and lived not far from Dahmer's home, where I think he had gotten his first start with like um, some crimes. I don't know if he had killed anybody, but with animal abuse and yeah. kind of like some yeah some kind of um, something was off, but they. Uh, we drove by where he lived as a kid, and I remember that kind of real-world fascination with crime and piqued my curiosity. Ed Gein, by the way, is the uh, serial killer that inspired both Norman Bates and Buffalo Bill. Like okay. that was elements of Ed Gein that was uh, um, with the well. Yeah, probably. Yeah, with that stuff. Uh, so I mean, yeah, just like they obviously did a great job crafting the character. Based on actual serial killers, right, just taking right. elements that people were kind of already familiar with during that time, because mm-hmm. uh, there was like a string, I think, in the seventies and and sixties, seventies, and eighties, almost of major serial killers. Yeah, you had Son yeah. of Sam, you know, David Berkowitz in New York, and um, Bundy are the two ones that come to mind. But yeah, that one was seventies, one was eighties, yeah. and I'm sure there are others that caught the national attention. The one that isn't is obviously Manson, because he just kind of uh, oh, hypnotized right, people right. to kill for himself, you know, but. Um, but there was definitely a strand in the media, at least, with, with a lot of that stuff going on. Um, and, and, and Bill is a great character, like we've discussed, because I think it just drives all those elements, and it's weirded out, because he's not as bright as Hannibal Lecter in, in the way that we know as bright. I mean, he's obviously clever in his own way, because he's capturing all these women, but he's not articulate. Like, Lecter is, is more of, like, almost a superhuman... Like like a Bond villain yeah. almost like I'm going to tell you everything I'm going to do right now <laughs> yeah. in absolute detail. Well, and I think that I think that's what what to what Tony had said earlier, kind of what reels you in to almost be on Lecter's side at, at large throughout large parts of the movie where um, he's so brilliant and such a as horrific as his crimes may have been. You don't hear a lot about Mm-mm. his crimes, and you just see his brilliance and his connection with. Starling, and then he's also got this um, this other foil that you can't stand the the weasel Chilton, the Doctor yeah. Chilton. That you, yeah, he becomes almost the one that that you loathe the most. The Doctor that is is there to try to tor- yeah, and yeah, he's yeah. and yeah, he's Smarmy. so slimy and yeah. and um, you're kind of glad when he dies. You, yeah, you're kind of and you kind of you kind of are. That that scene at the end when um, when Lecter is in the Bahamas and Chilton is getting off the plane, I mean, you, it's almost like a triumphant moment. As much as you know that it's a going to be a bloody end for Chilton, it's such a it's another one of those moments that gives you chills when they have that conversation at the very end when um, Clarice is back at the FBI headquarters and and. Uh, Lecter calls her on the phone. And Chilton's Dr. such Lecter. a... Dr. Lecter! Right. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Lecter! Phone's hanging, and, and as Dr. the credits Dr. roll, they're, uh, Lecter's <laughs> strolling down the street. Yeah. You can see Chilton and, the, and the, all the, you know the people the, from yeah. the island are there, and he's wearing his, his little uh, beach hat. and yeah. he, he have a wig on or something? Yeah, he's wearing hair. Really bad wig. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chilton is actually just so petty, too, because he, he, he starts feuds with Clarice, 
Uh, there's just not much likable about him. And he even tortures Lecter with all those, you know... He likes his penny torments. No, yeah, yeah he's, he's got his... the gospel program that he yeah. blasts when he's not there. And he took away all his drawings after <laughs> after Miggs, after Lecter talks the Miggs scene. into ki- killing himself. Yeah. The scene when the cops... Okay, so there's a scene when he gets off the, the plane and Chilton's looking for his pen, right? Or something oh, like right, that. right. And it, you never see him take the pen at all. It's just... It's just, which is great, because yeah. it's like, how would you, how could you take the pen? So just the yeah. fact that there's this mystery behind this, and he's like, what's he going to do with the pen? He's going to stab him with the pen? Like, you know the lector's going to find some way to use his pen. Right. You know he has it, just because he can't, you know. Right, right. That scene, to me, like, now that I'm thinking about it, is probably the scariest scene in the movie, when Lecter attacks those two cops. I felt uh, so bad for those cops. Right, I think right. it's because they look like ordinary cops. Usually horror victims look like young people like they're good looking or they're you know like from what we're used to in slasher films but these are like ordinary middle-aged cop guys that are getting dismantled by Lecter they're not being abusive or anything no they're very friendly and and, and he of course plays on their good good nature when he's when they first yeah mind the drawings (laughs) they come in and and they they're bringing him his second meal. Can you believe this guy? He must uh, be really hungry. He's asked for requesting <laughs> a second meal. You know, it was all part of Lecter's plan. So. I know. It, it, I mean, it's so creepy when I see that one cop hanging off of the. Uh, cage. Yeah, I mean, oh, like Jesus Christ. Yeah, uh, yeah. That scene. That scene to me. That those. That scene and the scene at the very end when mm-hmm. they're editing the two different locations: Buffalo Bill's house and the and the empty house yeah. in Illinois are the most powerful. I mean, that. I agree. Yeah, the courthouse scene where he's being held in that makeshift prison on the fifth or sixth floor of the court courtroom or courthouse in in Memphis is um, this is one of the great scenes I think in movie history and and part of like those it's that twist that that you get at the end of that scene and the way that yeah. that Lecter. Yeah manages his escape is just uh is again one of those spine tingling like, moments yeah. it's his willingness to do things that no one no normal i mean to wear someone else's flesh on their face and just <laughs> yeah. know that people are going to think it's that person and then that he's just so mangled up he can't recognize them and then uh, it's just yeah and that's and that's the scene like uh, it's it the, being a, again going on another tangent but being a huge uh Seinfeld fan, that that movie is full of cameos from people that um, had other li- lives oh, going yeah. on, and, and like, yeah. and so like the the one uh, the one character, the one actor who's down trying to encourage uh, Pembry. Pembry is the guy that is Lecter's wearing his face. Um, yeah. He was the sidler in Seinfeld. Like he was the character that oh, yeah. that, that yeah. Elaine asked to wear or have tic tacs in his pocket so she could know he was coming up but that scene where he's like you know we don't know it yet but that's Lecter with Pembry's face yes. on him um he it's said Pembry, he's, damn it. yeah, he yeah. talk to him it's Jim Pembry god damn it yeah he's like I don't know what to say to him you know it's a Jim Pembry and and meanwhile you know Pembry is is now in yeah is now on the elevator shaft in Lecter's white clothing and yeah it's just uh when you have that reveal where Lecter takes off Pembry's face in the back of the ambulance. It's just uh, jarring. Yeah, yeah, that just uh, shocking. And it's just the interplay. 
all those cops that they gather for that one event too is amazing. Yeah. They brought the entire force <laughs> to take down Lecter. Right. That's right. how dangerous he is. Yeah, yeah, shut down a ten block area <laughs> yeah, when they realize that he's gone and yeah. yeah. The entire force. And then watching the cops, which is great because you're seeing it from the cops' point of view for that whole segment. And they're trying to track him down, and the elevator stops midway. Then they think they see Lecter's body, and it turns out to be, yeah. you know, the, the corpse. And and, and again, the, one of the characters there, the, the Seinfeld connection, is Mister Mister Kruger, George's boss from Indu- Kruger Industrial Smoothing. He's one of the gunmen, I think, that either orders or puts the shot in his leg um, when to see if he's still alive. When it turns out it's just Pevery's dead body. But and then I know that Tony likes this. One of the other. SWAT team members is Chris Isaac. You know, yes. You know. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. All these like, like, neat little roles that, yeah, that you Chris Isaac's in a lot of, like, he's got, plays a lot of cops and yeah, he does. detectives and these. He like, was in Fire piece. Walk with me, Fire too. Walk, yeah. Yeah. That's probably a Jonathan Demi connection, too, because I know Demi, when he started out as a director in the 80s, like, he was making, like, smaller, kind of offbeat black comedy type movies. And he would always incorporate, I think, um, Moments of the underground rock. Not that Chris Isaac was that, but he was probably not as he was probably slightly well known by Sounds of the Lambs because I think Wicked Games had just come yeah out he, he was known but he may not have been a mega yeah. star but he was he was a star yeah but Demi directed uh, a movie I've mentioned before on the podcast called Something Wild with um, Melanie Griffith and Jeff Daniels which was like this kind of there was a string of movies in the mid eighties about like every man from New York getting caught up with like the underworld in some way and this was one of those type of movies but he would always have like 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 alternative rock what what was then college rock and stuff like that and the punk new wave underground stuff like talking heads he had a big relationship with them he directed stop making sense which is considered one of the greatest rock concert films ever made and then he did a um and something wild he had just like a wide range of people like Debbie Harry and uh, like Talking Heads and Lou Reed and all those kind of guys incorporated in the soundtrack so he had such strong ties to that world so he probably loves bringing in musicians just to make cameos in movies like right, that right right yeah I was I was like oh Chris Isaac yeah. you know of course he's bringing me in yeah. I think the, I think Wicked Game is one of the coolest songs ever yeah, it's a great song. It, is so, yeah. it, it evokes so many different emotions. It's sexy. It's like haunting. It's yeah. enchanting. I mean, I remember that song when I was a little girl. Just like side tangent. When I was a little <laughs> girl and I heard that song and I didn't really know what seduction meant. But I remember very vividly being, I don't know, seven or maybe eight. Like when I really remember hearing it. And I thought, this. I feel like I'm being seduced. Yeah. I remember thinking that, like, you really feel like you're being seduced when you hear that song. And then the music video to top it off is, like, really sensual. Is that on the beach? Is that, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's very, very sensual. And just, like, the, just his voice and everything about it is, I I still feel like I'm seduced by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great song. Like, I actually love that song, too. I think yeah. it's a great song. Uh, reminds me of Roy Orbison. It's like a modernized yeah. Roy yeah, Orbison he's got song. A little bit of a twang, and mm-hmm. yeah, to his voice. The video, like you said, it was a huge video at the time too. But he never... it's so dreamy, like whimsical, like yeah, it's the it's a only... good song. Yeah. yeah, it is. The only song I can remember that almost went into the consciousness like that was the one he did for Eyes Wide Shut. That baby did a bad, bad thing. That was so oh, okay. popular for a while. Yeah, I have not seen Eyes Wide Shut, but I know that song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, that was featured in that. So he's he had a couple songs that 
made it as like kind of a maybe not a hit, but it was something that everyone kind of knew. Right, at right. The time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that Lecter sequence, that whole Lecter sequence, and I think you need that because you need to see that Lecter is a monster. Like he's not just a friend of Clarice, that he actually is a dangerous mm-hmm. man. Yeah. Because right. um, otherwise, you just see this guy talking in cages all day. It's like he was once a dangerous, which is also evocative. Mm-hmm. But it really scares you when you finally see him in action and how. Yeah, and he actually yeah. you, you see him take a bite out yeah. of the one officer's And he has face. no yeah. remorse. Like yeah. there is that scene with Buffalo Bill when he's you know the famous put the lotion in the basket scene. We joke about it now, but but whenever he can see that that Kathleen Martin is like crying and everything like that, and he gets teary. Buffalo Bill starts to shake up a little, and that's he say put a fucking lotion in the basket, and he gets like upset. Like you know, you can tell that he's. He sympathizes with her. Well, a see, bit. that's the thing. Yeah. That's the, the dichotomy. I think yeah. is that he he and he refers to Catherine Martin with the pronoun it, and mm-hmm. is talking so impersonally mm-hmm. to her. And he, and he is getting emotional there. Yeah. Like I think it's just the he, he doesn't want to deal with that that human emotion. Exactly. But his his yeah. only real connection is to Precious. You know, like yeah. it, he, he he talks so. Uh, yeah, abusively to Catherine Martin with the pronoun it, and it uh-huh. puts in the third person, and yeah. and he says, and I think the line that is always again, it's it, it's not. I'm sure it was put in there for some comic relief because it is kind of funny, but it's also horrific. Is that he he says. Um, it puts the lotion in the basket or else it gets the hose again. And then Precious yeah. barks, yes, she will. Yes, she will get yeah. the hose again, he says uh-huh. to Precious. You know, yeah. it's like it, he, he can relate to Precious, but he really can't relate to any other no. human beings. But no. that was, but I think that's like you said, it's him. It, we see that he actually is a human and that mm-hmm. he does have a little bit of remorse. Like, like he does feel bad for what he's doing and maybe for her and I think that's why he gets a little torn up because when he looks at her she's like she's remember she's like look at me mister like you know she's trying she's like trying to to get him to humanize with her and he's still you know the whole bit about calling it like he said he's trying not to not to connect himself with any of his victims but I think in that moment he he something happens right. and he gets a little upset about it but Lecter on the other hand I mean, no. He it's just keeps all, on moving. All yeah. calculation. It's all calculation. Yeah, it's, like, and it, that's what yeah. makes him really more dangerous. Yeah, it is. You know? Because like, he's calculated and yeah. he's intelligent. He's, just built, he's bending the world to his needs. Right. Like he, he, Everything is a manipulation. Yeah. Like he, Everything is a means to an end for Lecter. And he's, he's always playing the game. And even, even in spite of what seems like a real connection with, um, with Clarice, I mean, it's still... It's still, what can he get out of this? You know, the whole quid pro quo yeah. line. You know, what, how can he get some satisfaction, but at the same time help this person that he has some affection for? And he's also, like, a tough dude, too, because he's a big, like, Henry Hopkins is a big dude. You kind of forget that because he's an elegant actor, but he's actually, mm-hmm. he'd probably take down <laughs> half of those cops. I mean... <laughs> I noticed something, that both uh, both guys tuck things in. He tucks in his shirts, and he's tucking in his shirts. Oh, my gosh. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know when he comes in, he's got his shirt tucked into his yeah. Well, that is... He's standing yeah. very upright, and yes. he looks kind of... Yeah. Well, that and that was another again fun fact or trivia that I uh, read about um, in getting ready for the podcast was that it was uh, Hopkins' choice or decision or suggestion for him to be dressed in all white in that scene. Um, I think it's in the courthouse where he's in all white. I don't yeah. think it's actually in his cell. In his cell, he's in like a navy. Yeah, blue. almost like yeah. a uh, 
mechanic suit, but exactly. um, but the white suit was uh, designed to trigger the emotion of a visit to the dentist's office or the doctor's office and the fear that people have about those kind oh, of yeah. trips. And yeah. so, yeah, that was just one little piece of trivia that I thought was interesting. And, and how the, these tiny little details and moments of symbolism that, that you don't necessarily even think twice about but are very yeah. interesting. And, and Hopkins, I know, was not well... He was kind of maybe an established actor and probably well-known within acting <clears throat> circles, for sure. He had, made, had some roles in movies. He wasn't a stranger to the film. But this elevated his profile so much more. You know, he became a, a star. Yeah, I think this is the... I don't know what his um, earnings have been since then, if you were to look at what his career bankability has been since then. But this was the, the multi-million dollar role of a lifetime that totally transformed his career i mean he yeah. he all he had been known i think mostly for the elephant man prior to this and yeah, I, which was a david lynch film by the it way was. Okay. it was it's the role i think that got uh debbie's attention because he saw him as the doctor in that movie mm-hmm. and one of the but it was a good man in that movie like he was a decent man right, I think right. there's an element of that character and the way hopkins portrayed it that made him think he would be great as lector and actually the people that were campaigning for it at the time were dustin hoffman al pacino and the actors like that, and all of them were much bigger names than Anthony Hopkins. Right, but right. I can't see either of those actors in that role. I mean, Pacino would have been like, oh, "I'm Hannibal Lecter." Well, yeah, they're, and they're and and apparently Gene Hackman bought the rights well, I to the Gene Hackman. Well, he, yeah, Hackman is the closest. I think he bought the rights to the novel, the Thomas Harris novel, which I think came out in '88, and envisioned directing the film and possibly starring in it, but then. Then eventually hesitated and and gave up on it. Meanwhile, Jodie Foster, they you know Gene Hackman and Jodie Foster were both superstar heavy hitters in Hollywood by that point in the late eighties. Yeah. Jodie Foster had tried to uh, get the rights, had tried to purchase the rights to the movie, and then once Hackman got them before her, Foster made it her mission to get the Clary's role to really lock into that role. And there was it, the the story goes that there was. Um, some bargaining in terms of the final casting because Demi really wanted Hopkins um, as Lecter, but the studio wanted a more established star, which is why some of those other names came into the picture, yeah. including Connery. Connery read it. Yes, I remember and, and that. Said that it was too too dark, too gory. I can see for Sean him. Connery doing it. Sean Connery would have been. An he's such a great actor. actor. Yeah, yeah. And I think the British thing works, even though Hannibal is kind of American. Is he? Or he's English. He's kind of got like a. I read that Ho- Hopkins obviously is British, and I read that. But I read that Hopkins really tried not to focus on the accent as much as just the embodiment of the character. And so a little bit of his, there are times that yeah, the, yeah. it's almost like a just an, an unidentifiable aristocratic yeah. accent. You know? It's like I mean, it, there is a little bit of English in there, but it's, it's like, like a transatlantic accent, right? Almost, right. Like, yeah. But they, they, Jonathan Demme had worked with Michelle Pfeiffer on Married to the Mob, and yes. that, I think, was his first choice. And um, But the studio really wanted Jodie Foster because she had just won the Academy Award a few years earlier for The Accused. And so that was kind of the deal that was struck, that um, Demme would take Foster if he could have Hopkins. You know, like, and so... Because yeah. the studio was a little bit reluctant about Hopkins because he was not... This bankable star, no. and that's why you know the poster likely centered on her more than yeah. Hannibal, even yeah. though Hannibal became a breakout star or breakout role yeah, of the right. movie. 
Um, the interesting thing about that is I think Meg Ryan was also up well, with Michelle Pfeiffer because she was just getting hot at that point because of when Harry met Sally and all those oh, movies. Yeah. But I don't think either... Michelle Pfeiffer would have been better than Meg Ryan, but I don't think either of them are as effective as Jodie Foster because Jodie Foster, she's not as glamorous as the other two and she's not right. as like the pitch-perfect all-American beauty. And that has nothing to do with her acting skills. It's just that Jodie Foster just kind of embodies something very relatable in this movie that I think... It, 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 I can't imagine anybody else playing this role as effectively as her as a result. Because well, I think she's, and I uh, think Clarice, too, is a brunette. I just think she would yeah. be a brunette. I don't think she would be a blonde. I think she would be a more serious kind of like... I Yeah, I think Jodie Foster is just perfect because yeah. there's... Um, well, it's no secret that Jodie Foster is homosexual. Now we know. Is this I don't know if she's ever outed herself publicly. I think but she, I know there have been in rumors. That, in that years. one speech a couple couple of years ago at the Golden Globes, it got yeah. a lot of attention that she was basically sending the signal. Yeah. But, like, yeah. Which, but that, but that kind of supports my point. Like, I think because she does. There, there are there are kind of like subtle man masculine attributes to to Jodie Foster mm-hmm. in this role, like. That fit, that make it totally believable, and that work. And I think with her orientation, that kind of that helped her, you know. In this, I think if you had a girl, like girl, feminine, super, super girl, like girl, woman, like it just wouldn't work as well. well yeah, but she, the fact that Jodie Foster was a little bit different, like that, she was still feminine, but at the same time, it was believable that she would be an FBI trainee and. She was a little tomboyish. Yeah, like I, you think, know, I like, think there's so many things going on there that she's still yeah. a, a very attractive woman. And, Absolutely. And, and obviously, she's the subject of the desire of so many of the men throughout yeah, the movie. Yeah, whether yeah. it's yeah. the big one, yeah, Chilton it hitting on her and the misogyny of yeah, the yeah, AI. Yeah, and it's but I think her and a, her acting chops are what carry the day. But the the her size also plays mm-hmm. into it because. She's she's the little engine that could in, the, in yeah, this whole yeah. movie, like fighting against all yeah. these forces, and it so many times is on her own when she goes to visit that storage Absolutely. locker. When she's at the very end uh, confronting Buffalo Bill one on one in his dungeon lair in his basement, um, yeah. And at the very and kind of the 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 shots that they that kind of establish that dynamic the. At the very beginning of the movie, she gets on the elevator, and it's all like yes. these tall men towering over her yeah. at the FBI Academy. And then when she's at the funeral home in West Virginia, and and um, uh, Crawford, Scott Glenn goes into the other room with the the deputy or the sheriff, and she's mm-hmm. surrounded by the other state police that are all eyeballing her, and she's you can just tell she mm-hmm. feels so little and insignificant, and yet she keeps on fighting through all these different obstacles to to win the day ultimately and catch Buffalo yeah. Bill. And Demi does a great job of that too because he'll film it from the perspective of the character talking to you because I think he's trying to say this is how this is what Clarice's experience is like every day mm-hmm. is people are mansplaining to her constantly. Right, right. And that and that is you know, that is, is one of the stylistic yeah. elements of this movie that's so powerful in terms of the directing is that is that direct address to the camera, you know, like that you there are, are there are a lot of shots that could have been done as over the shoulder where the actor is looking directly into the camera, whether it's Lecter, Clarice, or Buffalo Bill. And, um, and that was another thing that, just in terms of the inside baseball so aspect of this film, that Jodie Foster said that shoot those shots were grueling because when you're 
when you're having to sit there like that, you, you can't move at all when, when it's that direct one-on-one -on -one camera. Like if you move even the slightest bit, you get out of focus. Yeah. And yeah. so she said at the end of the day, shooting a lot of those looking directly into the camera scenes were exhausting. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a Demi trademark too. I think in a lot of his other movies that's employed a lot to that, that technique. Yeah, I, I, I immediately thought as, as I kind of looked at it again this week, I thought of Philadelphia. I mean, he uses yes. that a lot with Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington when they're in the courtroom or in other parts of the movie where they're directly looking into the camera. And it, it, it is a... It's, it's not that Demi invented that mechanism, but it's um, I think it's a very powerful trade. It really puts yeah. you in the shoes of, of the person that's either being talked to or, again, the first-person perspective of her walking into the the prison hospital, you know, like when you see from her perspective as she passes all of these mm -hmm. monsters and then eventually finds mm -hmm. uh, Lecter standing at attention waiting for mm -hmm. her. And Lecter really is the only male character that truly respects Clarice in the movie on any level because everyone else looks at her as either sexual... I think sexual her boss does. I think her... Scotland. Yeah, yeah, I think he Over does. time, I think he, he, he she, she yeah. wins his respect, but mm -hmm. like, you know, like that, that scene when... When they're in the car. Yeah, like when she confronts yeah. him, like she stands up to him because at the, in the funeral scene, mm -hmm. he's, he kind of belittles her when he says to the, the sheriff or the state policeman, um, there's some aspects to this case that are sexual that I don't think we should talk in private. You know, so they walk into the room to have a private conversation mm -hmm. and that's when Clarice is in that center spot surrounded by 10 uh, state police who are yeah. all kind of giving her the... The, the yeah, evil eye, and um, and then she has the flashback remembering her uh, father's funeral. But then after that, they're in the car ride back to the airport mm -hmm. or back to the back to the FBI, and and um, she she confronts Scott Glenn, J Jack Crawford about it. Like, what? You know, she he he brings it up. He says well, yeah. that really burned you, didn't yeah. it? When I yeah. when I talked to you and said that, he says I was just blowing smoke. I was trying to get get rid of them, get them off the, you know, so that we could just focus on it with us. And she says, it matters. It matters yeah. um, it did, what you say. And, and he's like, that's, point, point taken. Yeah, because this is what she said, and it's true. She says, because they look to you as a model, how you treat me is how they think it's okay to treat right. me. Right, which and I he, think is... A, and that's when he said, I understand now. Yeah, he's like, yeah. point taken. And that mm -hmm. and that really is, I think, a big theme mm -hmm. of the entire movie is 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 the woman trying to, to make it in the man's world yeah. and, and the FBI being such, and, and in so many institutions in American history and American culture that are so male-dominated for someone like Clarice to really try to make her mark and stand out and rise above when so many of those forces are keeping her down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I, I just love that tactic. And it's subtle, too, like when the boss at the beginning, like, uh, when he says, uh, "Oh, you were in my class. I gave you an A," and he goes, "She goes A minus." Right, a subtle, right. Another subtle reference to <laughs> that she's always downgraded, you know, mm -hmm. in some capacity. I love Jodie Foster in the role. Like, I do too. Uh, I yeah. think she's she's criminally underrated, even though she won an Oscar for this performance, and deservedly so. I think she's still underappreciated because mm. it's a subtle performance compared to a lot of really. Unique performances. <laughs> I mean, you have a guy, and you know, <laughs> Bill, need I say more? And then you have Lecter, just this iconic, charismatic. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, though. I think you know, and we were talking about this shortly before the podcast started. But the scene where Clarice first meets Lecter, you can sense that fear. 
I mean, you can literally, you can see Jodie Foster quivering and you just, the way she sits down in the chair when he says, you know, sit. And, and I mean, he's in full control in that scene. And she's just trying like so hard to, um, to, to stay composed, but right. to, get, to get what she needs to get. And then he says, oh, you were doing so well until you made the poor transition to get the, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and he's kind of like judging her and everything yeah. like that. But, um, but I think that scene really speaks so so much for Jodie Foster's really great and, like you say, kind of underrated performance. I mean, I felt exactly what Clarice was feeling in that moment, you know? Like, how could you not? Right. I, I mean, it just... Well, you mentioned that he always mentions her clothing all mm-hmm. the time. He always talks about her, um, uh, like, uh, for lack of a better word, cheap or poor quality or shoes. Two dollar shoes. Yeah, yeah so you're looking at a good bag and your yeah. cheap shoes. Oh yeah, you're not gonna find the answers in those cheap shoes, Larry. He's just staring down at her yeah. shoes like, what an asshole. <laughs> what an asshole. <laughs> and he's not even really looking at her at that point. Yeah. I think he's yeah. kind of looking away. That's the second visit, I think. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Does he wink at her when but you look up in the pages? Or oh yeah, he kind of, kind of like he starts to look through the report. He kind of winks at her. Yeah, a, t- a yeah. typical like male chauvinist move. Like yeah. Where he's, yeah, and and he says have a seat, and I and I paid attention to that as well. She sits down in this crummy folding chair, yeah. and he never sits down. So he that pi- power dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. He right. remains standing as he leaps through the report, or as mm-hmm. he leaps through her. Um, her offer for Plum Island, Anthrax yeah. Island, or whatever. Yeah, it's like... Um, well, and then, yeah. you know, it's it's right around that time when he kind of starts dissecting her, and he realize, he he's pretty spot on, I think, with a lot of her issues that she has. He can sort of... Uh, he brings those out pretty early on in that first meeting, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but it's interesting, because as a woman, you know, I can tell you that a lot of times women will spend more money on their handbags than shoes. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll get a designer handbag or something like that. And I, I just think it was interesting that he kind of picked up on that so quickly. And and a lot of the reason why women get designer handbags is, one, they're good quality, you know, and some women can afford that, and that's what they like. But the other thing, too, is really for status. You know, if someone sees me with a Louis Vuitton handbag, then it's like this unperceived or kind of like, I don't know, like unspoken sense of, of status like oh she has a nice handbag she must be classy or she's smart or you know the, these different things that that you can just associate with something as simple as a handbag mm-hmm. well and that's and, and again off on a little tangent but like a kind of the Shawshank Redemption line about when Andy Dufresne comes back into the prison the night before his escape and it's like who notices a man's shoes you know it's mm-hmm. like you yeah. like with Obviously, when a woman's dressed to the nines, you notice yeah. everything, including the shoes. But in day to day life, uh-huh. you know, really. I, yeah, you, you would notice the handbag before you yep. would notice the woman's shoes. And well, it, and yeah, exactly. And it points out that he notices everything. Right, he notices the shoes and like, the handbag. He's like Sherlock Holmes; he just deducts <laughs> yeah. all the information he needs. But more important than that, he knows the the reason behind the, behind the expensive handbag. Because if she was if she were the type of woman who could afford everything, who came from mm-hmm. a, the type of background that would allot her that luxury, mm-hmm. she'd have the nice shoes and the nice everything. Well, but yeah. the fact that Clarice only has bits and pieces, he really hits. He hits the. He hits it on the nail. The head, whatever that expression is, he hits the, head, the, the head, nail on the head. The yeah, na- yeah mm-hmm. with the fact that she's really trying to overcompensate and trying to prove herself. Yeah, and, 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 and the, yeah, the way he, the way he 
uh, tears her apart, mm-hmm. and, and you know you're just a couple generations from poor white, white trash. trash. Exactly. And then he starts to whisper it. You want to get out of there anywhere, all the way to the FBI. You know, it's like it's, and you know, and then that I think that's and, the first scene yeah. when as she's walking out, Migs defiles yeah. her, and you know that's when he right. finally takes sympathy on her because that was such a crass act that it even was mm-hmm. beneath. Lecter that yeah. he's gonna rescue her and and help her. How, how did he, what did he do? To well, remember he, remember he, he, he she she's she's did something about Mary. That's kind of what he did to her. Well, well, I know, I know, I know yeah, what, yeah, I know yeah, what yeah. he did. But, but Lecter did something to him. Like oh, oh, oh yeah, after because it was so unspeakable what he had done to uh, to yeah. Clarice. Um, the the next thing you hear is Crawford calling Clarice mm-hmm. on the phone and saying Miggs is dead and. Uh, Lecter had talked him, you know, had was right next to him, so it's implied that Lecter got into his head and just in totally manipulated oh, him. Yeah, that's that's, that's yeah, what I thought too. Yeah. Like, that's, man, this guy. Yeah, is like, yeah. he is like the mastermind. He can, he can <laughs> yeah. do he can, from one cell away. You can't even see him, and he can talk you into killing yourself. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. Well, I think it was Lecter's mo, and most of the films, I think they always show references that he can he can talk people into doing things to themselves they normally wouldn't do. Uh, what is his diagnosis like? Is he just like full-fledged egomania and narcissism? Because he's certainly not an insecure man. Right. And that, that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like and I think that's, that's probably a, st- a, a, a through line for most serial killers in a yeah. lot of cases. That I mean, it's, well, not to put Buffalo Bill in the same category, but I think of, I, I immediately think of Ted Bundy, the ultimate yeah. intelligent, not to, not to give credit to Ted Bundy where it's not due, but um, just this super high intellect but also this yeah, extreme narcissism, no conscience, so the ultimate psychopath. But The yeah. rules no longer apply to me. I right, can get, away, get right. away with anything. Well, I think Hannibal Lecter is a little bit unique, though, in that because he is a doctor. He's a, isn't he a psychiatrist? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. he knows the ins and outs of the human mind and how it works, including his own and how to manipulate other people. And so that really, I think, he obviously uses to his advantage, but that yeah. gives him a leg up. Um well, he's a brilliant psychiatrist. Yeah, I mean, he's that's like, right. He's like a world. Yeah, he's like, world. exactly. Like, it's, I mean, I mean, he's got a. I mean, he, he is probably the most intelligent person on the face of the earth, based on his abilities in this movie. Yeah, I mean, he's just thinking. Yeah. Steps ahead. Yeah, there's ne- there's never a time in the movie, or probably at any time in Hannibal Lecter's life, when he is not firmly in control. And I I mentioned this earlier, but firmly in control in the the smartest, most conniving person in the room. Like this does, like you said, always fifteen steps ahead. He's playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers. Yeah, yeah. and that's why he reminded me of Joker. He never had a Joker in the Dark Knight gets himself arrested. Uh-huh. Oh right, and right. Yeah. And the like, cage is the same setup yeah. to the play, the set piece in here. And I, I'm just thinking, yeah. like, oh, that's what he's doing. He's did he get himself arrested? Is not seeing Manhunter is like, did he? Is this a long orchestrated? Thing that he's carried out, he wants out. But he once he sees Corgis, he's like, okay, I can help out with this case. He kind of, you know, once he finds out, you don't know at what point he. Oh can see right, like the, right, like he. Well, he definitely you can he definitely manipulates Chilton into the in person meeting with the senator at the airport. You know, like that, yeah. like that's a that's a moment where you know, like when yeah. when Chilton comes in the day after. Um, the day after Clarice has brought this deal, you know, yeah. if you help us find Catherine Martin before she's killed, 
we'll give you uh, trips yeah. to Plum Island where you get one hour uh-huh. a day in the ocean under SWAT surveillance, of course. And um, that was a that was a ruse. Like yeah. Crawford had, you know, Crawford had made up that deal. Martin had not authorized that deal, and Shilton found that out. Called Martin, got his own deal. So he actually did get the senator to offer a oh, deal, yeah. but but uh, Lecter's condition was, I want an in-person meeting. We're not doing it here. I'm going to do face-to-face with Senator Martin to help help you find her uh, her daughter's yeah. kidnapper. Yeah, so that, that part of it he has manipulated yeah. to get out of that spot. Yeah. So, so he knew that once there was a change, once there was, you had to be taken out. Yeah. Stuff, there, he, can, he can find a way to get out of it completely. Yeah, like, I mean, like, like there's no way he could have known the yeah. the logistics of that makeshift prison in the courthouse, but any uh, any opportunity to get out of that, yeah. that highly secured... Um, hospital and prison for the criminally insane could present an opportunity to get out and it did yeah once he got that pen and then he ordered the meal he probably saw the routine and taking the meal in then he figured it out and he ordered another one i mean yeah i'm figuring it out how he figured it out yeah well it's interesting like i not again like with movie magic and the suspension of disbelief you just kind of have to let that go but it's like i can't i can't envision a scenario where any you know, notorious, like highly violent, brilliant serial killer would be given that opportunity to be in a makeshift prison in a courthouse. Yeah. Like, that, yeah. that, like, why wouldn't they have had him at like, even if you're going to have him meet the the senator in person, why wouldn't you still do that in a maximum security penitentiary? But, but. That we, like don't, that we don't get that great scene. Yeah. <laughs> we get the glass prison. Well, yeah. Everybody else has got bars. Well, and I and I a little fun fact about that is that the the way it was written in the book apparently was that the the prison was, um, or his cell was a lot of netting and and bars, but then you don't get that that byplay with Jodie Foster. And yeah. Was, that's why they so they came up with that yeah. plexiglass. With the breathing holes at the top, yeah. so, so that they could have that connection. Yeah. But they said that he would go into that room and and pretty much be in that room all day during the shoot. So Jodie Foster talked about how how unique it was that there was hardly any one on one time with Anthony Hopkins, other than when they were shooting, because he was usually in that. Uh, plexiglass mm-hmm. cell all day, so they weren't they weren't mingling offset. Did Lecter know that Clarice was lying to him about the deal? From no, the I think he knew that she was lied to. Did oh, he say that? Okay. Um, I'm trying. Lecter didn't know she was lying un- until Chilton. Remember, okay. Chil- Chilton, Chilton revealed the senator's him, office. Yeah. The way the story goes, Chilton called the senator's office and he said. And that's when he, he comes, and that's when you see how how much of a jerk he is when he comes to yeah. to play Lecter. He's like, "There's no deal. They played Crawford played you like a fool, you know. But there is a deal now, you know, uh, yeah. one that I've made, you know. Like, and he just wants the attention because remember when yeah. he, when he gives the fake name Lewis Friend on the tarmac at the the airport, you know, immediately Chilton is in <laughs> front of the media, you know, yeah. the the, the 
Buffalo Bill's real name is Lewis Friend. My yeah. name is Frederick Chilton. This <laughs> right. spells it out for him. I'm not just some turnkey. Right. He wants yeah, he wants yeah. this to build he wants to yeah, glorify his own career and advance his own career. I'm just wondering though if Lecter kind of sensed that this deal was never going to go through from the get go, and because he doesn't seem that upset with Clarice really towards the end. Well, I because I think they told Clarice about a deal. They were lying to her. And yes, she just took, I, I think she they the lied truth. to her. I think she knew that Clarice that I think he knew Clarice was being honest with him as far as she knew. Yeah, but yeah, that she's just, she was yeah. just a pawn for exactly. Um, I think he knew that for Crawford. Yeah, pretty well, much. And the other the other. Uh, neat little cameo is um, when when the FBI director confronts Crawford over the phone about did you come up with some make believe deal for Lecter and and Glenn's like or Jack Crawford Scott Glenn is like yeah I had to roll the dice well she, and he's like well um, Senator Martin is mad as hell and. Mm-hmm. The FBI director is Roger Corman. Yeah, yeah. So like he's the the, the, the infamous <laughs> right, director other, is, yeah. has a bit role in this movie because I think I think Corman had been a mentor to Demi early right. in his career. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he started off with some of those smaller films like we talked about earlier in the eighties. They were a little more like they were a little like small, almost independent films. <laughs> you know, like something wild and stuff like that. I wonder. I think he directed a few films for Corman for even earlier than that. Like right, guys right. Like, uh, but it's great that Corbin made an appearence. Yeah, it, it's just it's, it's, like, it's like a five second one line appearance. But yeah, he's he's the one that's like, well, Senator Martin is mad as hell, and she wants to blah blah. blah. I can't remember the rest of it, but that's yeah. what kind of that's what eventually leads to Chilton's um, deal. Like they do still strike a deal, but it's not Crawford's deal that was made. So, so what's uh, your overall impression of the movie, or who's your favorite character? That's a way to start off. Like before we get to that, but. Your favorite character in the movie, the one you're drawn to the most, boy, I know. That, or your favorite performance? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's hard. It really is. I, that's a question I didn't think of in advance, and it's hard for me to pick one because we've talked so much about the three characters that you know we talked about: Lecter, Starling, and Buffalo Bill. And um, I think that the the most the most impressive performance is um, is Lecter and, and Anthony Hopkins and and what it did for his career. The one that I could make a case for all three, though. Like I, I feel yeah. like mm-hmm. that's the Lecter's performance or Anthony Hopkins' performance as Lecter is a tour de force. I mean, this is this is the the moment of his career when. Uh, the perfect role met the perfect actor and the rest is history you know mm-hmm. so i think that that stands alone again I, I don't i hate to hedge my bets here but i i look at jodie foster as clarice and she is underrated i mean she's un, mm-hmm. she's unsung in this movie she won the academy award but she does get lost in all the hysteria and hoopla over how great anthony hopkins was and and she's so good in this and, and it's mm-hmm. it's done so much with voice and with with facial expressions when you, you mm-hmm. this I mean this movie really is about the eyes and vision and the, the line about the we covet the things we see and the way that the, mm-hmm. the men all leer at her throughout the movie and and even the transition she right. turns into a butterfly in the end 
Starts off as a caterpillar going through training. Oh, right, right. Yeah, like the symbolism of that. Yeah, she turns into. Yeah, like she, she's the one that is is fighting the uphill battle. That's even symbolized when she's doing the obstacle course at the very beginning of the movie in the opening credit sequence. But and but the the character that stays with you, twenty five, twenty six years later. For me, it's Buffalo Bill. Like it's, yeah. it's like it's, and I'm not going to say that Ted Levine's performance rises above Anthony Hopkins or Jodie Foster, but it's, it's, um, in the words of the director, so terrifying, so so perfect um, that it, it, even as I sit here and kind of picture him in that confrontation in the kitchen with Jodie Foster, it gives me chills. It's not the, mm-hmm. it's not the, um, the woman dance. That yeah. it, as chilling as that is, I mean, it's it's the more nuanced things that about his character that um, resonate with me all these years later. I mean, the the <laughs> the shouting at Catherine in the well is just so you know so memorable. And, and as much as people mock the the lotion line and the um, would you fuck me, I'd fuck yeah. you so hard, you know, those lines have become, you know, part of the lexicon years later. Yeah. But it's like... but I say it every day. <laughs> I say it every day when I put my lipstick on. <laughs> but no, it's just like... there's It's like, a, again, with all due respect to Christianity, this is a holy, a holy trinity of acting there with those three characters. Yeah. I mean, it's a new holy trinity. Yeah, I, I just... Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I, so I, I can't pick one. I mean, I... I I think they all rise to the highest point in their careers. I haven't seen enough of uh, Ted Levine's work in other projects to know, but as great as Anthony Hopkins has been in other things and as great as Jodie Foster has been in, in other movies, nothing will ever compare to, to this movie, I don't think. And I, and I think that when I see either one of them in any project, any movie, I immediately am taken back to Silence of the Lambs. I mean, that's how powerful that movie is for me and how memorable and how it will... 100 years from now, people will still be talking about that movie as one of the all-time greats. I wanted to comment on that scene where uh, Buffalo Bill comes into contact with uh, Clarice because there's that line, I think we've all mentioned it. First of all, he does a terrible job of acting like a normal person. It just does comes off immediately like there's something off about this guy. But the line about the fat person always cracks me yeah. up. It's just a we. I mean, he has great lines in this movie. Yeah. Like, right. oh, was so she you're talking about fat person? person? Yeah, like that's that's the one that I'm, and I know it's I'm. Uh, I hate to get into the whole body shaming thing because there's plenty of that that goes on in right. this movie. But that is the line that yeah. in college that we would, you know, kind she of echo back and forth to each other. Yeah, because because he's trying to pretend like he has no clue yeah. of yeah. what, of what uh, Clarice is talking about, and then finally he's like. Oh wait, she's raping fat person. <laughs> and and Jodie Foster, she was a big girl. Yeah, Jodie yeah, Foster, yeah, like matter of fact, like kind of uncomfortable that he would actually yeah. talk that way. It's like, yeah. yep, she was a big girl. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah. and yeah, and like once he, yeah, and he even there, the size differential, uh-huh. he's looking down on her, like he's taller than she is, and so she, she's she doesn't even know yet what she's getting herself into, and that's yeah. the that's the point where they're. 
it's so masterfully edited the juxtaposition of the yes the team that's raiding the house in Illinois while she's by herself ready to face this monster one on one in this house when where they, was Buffalo Bill wasn't he in like DC area or something it's it's actually uh, Appalachia so like it's it's a small Ohio town like oh, okay, um, Ohio. They, they I don't I don't know if they ever say the actual town I want to say it's. I don't want to get this wrong because there there are a couple of towns that are actually actual names. I think they they made up a name, but um, yeah, it, it is like m- most of his crimes and most of his uh, victims were, were, were in West yeah. Virginia and Ohio and Pennsylvania, and most of the film was shot in Western Pennsylvania. Like so, like it was the real deal when they shot these scenes in kind of the mm-hmm. Allegheny region. Um, but yeah, I mean, and but you know when they ring the doorbell at the house with like the fake flowers uh-huh. and and that big like buzzer bell yeah. rings in his dungeon basement, yeah. you know it's like and you think they're about to get him in Illinois and you know that's not where he is and it's yeah it's just uh that was really well done I yeah that was probably my one of the best parts in the whole film yeah and then once you realize that she's on her own and then she's she's dealing with. As she she's chasing him through the intricate when, when he labyrinth turns the down, off, yeah, that's turns the scary. lights out. How did he build that, by the way? Me, yeah, <laughs> he, he obviously. Yeah. Like, yeah, that is that, that's another that one where you have to suspend the suspension of disbelief. Like that, there's this yeah. multi-layered like dungeon. Uh, <laughs> he has to get a dwell. contract to make it out there. <laughs> right. I'm a well. Yeah, that that that, that house. <laughs> I'm the <was, laughs> <a> well for. <laughs> that house. If you look at the, the there's no way that the the footing of that would would have enough room for all that was going on down there I agree. but you know she's trying to find him and you know Catherine martin is screaming you get back here you stupid bitch you know yeah. she thinks she's not going to come back and be saved she's yeah. lost all hope sitting in that well day after day i, yeah. I know she yeah. was down there at least three days right right yeah. right but did she really have to take it on precious though that's right. that was cruel <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> that was laurie, laurie, laurie her down there with the chicken bone or whatever yeah. that is yeah <laughs> While he's getting to do his dance. That's right. <laughs> well, and the and the, they'll teach him. <laughs> like another little fun fact about Ted Levine is that he was born in Bel Air, Ohio, which is in that region. Really? And at one point, he was raised mostly in like Oak Park, a suburb of Chicago, and that's where he got to start in Chicago theater. But um, but yeah, I was born in that same region where that climax kind of happens. There's a there's an old railroad bridge that's used in the in that scene where um, in that kind of sequence where Clarice comes to the victim's father's home and is getting closer and closer and looks out the back window and sees the house. There's a sequence there where you can see a yeah. a railroad bridge that's actually from the birthplace town of Ted Levine. It's kind of ironic. That is weird. How about you, Tony? Like, uh, who was your favorite character, and what do you think of the movie overall? Well, I definitely want to echo a lot of what Paul said. Um, I def- I really do think it is an ensemble between the three. They're so great, but, um, you know, in typical Tony female fashion, I, I do have to say probably, like, my favorite uh, character would be Clarice, because I really do sympathize with her in many ways, Um being a, a petite, you know, bright young lady trying to make it, you know, in, in a man's world and going through some of the things that uh, she's gone through in her profession because, unfortunately, some of that still exists today. But um, I really do think she's very smart, and I like how, in the end, 
she's really the one that pieces things together. You know, she finds all, all of it out on her own with, you know, with a big push from Lecter. But um, I really admire her gumption and, and I, can, I can understand her, you know, somewhat rough upbringing and why she would want to um, kind of leave that behind and, and pursue a career that, in her eyes, she felt like was one of great substance and, and something that would be highly respected, being an FBI agent. Um, and uh, I don't know, I just think her performance is really powerful and I really enjoy the relationship that she's fostered with Elector and I like a lot of the scenes when it's just the two of them because I think you learn a lot about each one of them and um, I think she was such a key player in that case. I mean, had she yeah. not been there, you know, you don't know, they wouldn't have been able to get through to Lecter. They wouldn't have been able right. to find Buffalo Bill. I mean, Clarice really is significant in so many ways. You know, she's the queen of the, the chess game. Well, and in that moment that, that precedes the grand climax when she confronts Buffalo Bill, mm -hmm. she gets the call from Crawford on the, on the, the big plane that they're taking into Illinois to, to get Buffalo Bill. Mm -hmm. And she, it, in her eyes, she views that she's not, She's not going to be there when they make the big capture because they're on the trail. You know, he, that's when Crawford's like, his name's Jane Gum. He goes by Jack Gordon. Um, he's been living here for such and such. We're, we're going to find him. And and then it's like, you can tell she's a little bit crestfallen that she's not going to be there for mm -hmm. the big capture. And then he kind of gives her the throwaway line. Don't forget, Clarice, we never would have caught yeah. uh, Buffalo Bill without you. Well, that couldn't be more true than anything said in the entire movie because right. she is the, the she's there she's the she's really the only reason yeah. they were able to find oh him my I God, mean like yeah. the relationship with Lecter the mm -hmm. clues that were that came out of that relationship mm -hmm. with Lecter and then the the actual gritty door to door pounding the pavement police work like of going to that town yeah. and figuring out that this is the spot like this mm -hmm. this window where his first the window from the home of his first victim is in eyesight, the idea of um, we don't seek out things to covet, we covet the things that we see every day. Yeah. And she knew that he, that Buffalo Bill had been someone that the first victim knew because of the way that he, they found the body. It was so much longer after the other girls. Like, And that, again, ties into the bit with Catherine Martin where he was starting to develop, because he had her for so many days, he was starting to kind of develop a sense of you know, feeling, whatever that might have been for her and that's why he kind of got a little upset there but because otherwise he probably he would have just killed her right away you know what i mean the well, fact that he's keeping her in this well and when they talk about the like this is something that i just picked up on the most recent viewing of the movie was that part of his plan part of his his master plan to to cobble together this woman suit out of all the skin of his victims was to keep them alive for three days, like to keep them alive oh, for three okay. days, to moisturize the skin, mm. to um, have them lose weight, you know, because he's not feeding them a good diet okay. so that the skin is looser. And, uh, and ultimately, okay. so yeah, they, he, he was saying all in that one scene, I think it's the scene, I don't know whether it's the scene on the way to the funeral home or after the funeral home where they talk about how, when they're looking at the map, like the, like here's where he, captured his victims here's and here's where, he where their bodies yeah. were dumped and um 
you know, he weighted down the first victim, which is why she yeah. was harder to find. The other ones they found sooner. He got lazy, they said. But uh, they said all of the mutilation of the body happened post-mortem. Like, he captures them, keeps them for three, day, three days, shoots them in the head, then skins them, you know, and, and then uses that skin to, okay. to fashion his, his woman suit. You know, and so, and that's the, those are, another, that's another creepy shot that you yeah. see when he's in the basement, when she's screaming in the background, mm -hmm. and he's, again, naked, sitting at that chair, like, sewing skin. skin together, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, so anyway, I, I really like Jodie Foster, I think she mm -hmm. was really phenomenal, underappreciated, I think, to some degree, just, I don't want to say underappreciated, but maybe overshadowed a little by the male, some of the male co-stars, but, um, but I, I think she was really great for the role. I think mm -hmm. it's believable that she would be the type of woman that she is, that she would be independent and determined and smart. And, and I like the fact that she's like an everyday woman. It's not someone like, you know, outrageously gorgeous, you know, playing this FBI agent. It's someone who most women could identify with, definitely sympathize with, and, you know, want to root for that person in the end. Very relatable character, I think. Absolutely, you know? just, yeah. Just really relatable. Um, I, I would have to kind of echo what you guys said, too. I think Jodie Foster is sort of underrated, even though it's a strange thing to say about an Academy Award-winning performance in a very popular right, movie. Right, right. And Clarice Starling is a famous name. Yeah. But I think that has more to do with the hello Clarice than it does maybe with just by her own performance that's gone into the zeitgeist. You know, but I think that she's... Uh, really strong as Clarice in this movie. I'm glad she turned down Hannibal because I think that does corrupt the character. Yeah. Weird, takes it in a weird too. direction. Um, I kind of like, he, she said she wanted to protect the heroism of Clarice yes. by not getting her too far into that, uh, into what they did with Hannibal. But I, I, I would have to say that that's an admirable performance, but I think I agree. Like it's, all three performances are excellent. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, all of them would probably be worthy of an Academy Award, even if they didn't win it. So I would probably still right. say they're some deserving of that. Yeah, you know, it's some top-notch acting. And the directing by Demi yeah. is another thing that I think is really superb. And in the oh, script, yeah. the I think camera it, angles, the yeah. shots, and everything. Yeah, I don't like the score as much. I think the score could have been more memorable than it is here, because usually movies like this can evo <laughs> evoke a great score. Yeah. Howard Short composed yeah. it. I think it's okay. It's more pedestrian to me than anything yeah, else. Yeah, it's not nothing. That, there's no. Yeah, it's um, not memorable. Score is the dialogue, Sean. <laughs> it is. That's the music to my ears. <laughs> yeah, we didn't really touch on that, but I agree with you, Sean. I think yeah. the cinematography in this movie, which we did talk about that one scene, but and then the, the up-close shots of just the faces. Right, I right. mean, that's really powerful, especially that scene where Clarice, the first scene where Hannibal is kind of analyzing Clarice, and you could just see her, like, just mm -hmm. the tears that are behind her eyes. Yeah, you know, it's just really lands. powerful. Yeah, and she's telling that yeah. story. And well, yeah, of the three characters, I mean, she's yeah, like you, you use the word relatable, and mm -hmm. the other word would be the most human. I mean, she's yeah. the like, I mean, the vulnerabilities that she shares, the 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 way those flashback scenes are played are are tearjerkers, really. When mm -hmm. when when you, when she's all of a sudden back. As a little girl at, standing over her father's casket, you know, and then breaks down when she gets out to her car, you know, it's like, and, and the trauma of the mm -hmm. Migs moment too. Yeah. I mean, that's part of what plays into her breaking down. But yeah, she's just, um, yeah, so so powerfully vulnerable and and isn't afraid to to show that side of her mm -hmm. and is just yeah that that 
it, it, the other characters are stand out for being pretty pretty outlandish, whereas she is so real. And I think the difference too that Hannibal talks about with um, with Jack Crawford, he's like, oh, you're one of Jack Crawford's. I get the notion that in the past Jack Crawford probably sent men mostly, mm-hmm. but in this case he sent Clarice because you know, no offense, guys, but it takes a it takes a certain kind of woman. To, to be able to be vulnerable like that, but yet stay strong, and to have people respect her, but to be able to, to connect with people in that kind of way. And I think it takes a, a woman in a lot of ways to be able to get something like that done. Because men, it's just harder for them to let their guard down, mm-hmm. especially if they feel threatened by another man. Like you mentioned, you felt Hannibal was intimidating. You know, mm-hmm. So if you were intimidated by this yeah. man and you're sitting in front of him, you're not going to let yourself down. You know, But a woman, uh, just the way that women are made up, I think... Uh, I think really it, the only way for Hannibal to really come through that was to have a woman. Well, they said that know? don't don't let him get in your head. Don't uh-huh. do that. That's what was creepy about the first time that she met him. Because she didn't. did all the things that they. She was like, yeah. he's like, come closer. Right, come closer. right. Yeah, so you're like, no, dude, this told not to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she, but she gets the breakthrough because she's able. She has the strength to withstand exactly. all of his onslaught, his psychological mm-hmm. warfare, mm-hmm. and. And she could deal And with he it. respects her ultimately yeah. for being that way. Whereas the other people, he just looked at as clowns, you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know. And and her her willingness to, mm-hmm. to, to be that open to him. To him. Yeah, yeah. To to share those intimate details mm-hmm. of why she's haunted by the incident with the yeah. lamb on the ranch and, and the the pain, the searing pain of losing her father when she'd already lost her mother and was mm-hmm. basically you know, we're a bit alone again. Yeah. Like so, yeah, that, this track of the movie of following her. I mean, she's alone. She's been alone her entire mm-hmm. life, and in this, and then the crowning moment of the movie, she's alone again up yeah. against Buffalo Bill. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I agree with everything you said about just 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 the, the chemistry between Hopkins and Foster is off the charts, and that's probably the thing people remember the most about mm-hmm. this movie is those scenes there. You know, mm-hmm. of the the dialogue between those two in the cells. I can just imagine them playing those scenes at the end of the Academy Awards. And like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they just play one of those scenes where. Yeah, they're always they're always referencing those montages at the Academy Awards. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I know that. Tony Foster for yeah. She said to lose their power over time when they're overemphasized like that. I just remember signing of the lands when they come back. The movie uh, has a great reputation, though. I think it was seventy four in the AFI's hundred greatest movies of all oh, time wow. yeah. about 10 years ago I think it's made the, the list twice uh, and I think it deserves to be I mean it's a classic that you mm-hmm. know has oh, yeah. objectively stood it I don't know if it's my go-to movie you know I don't think it's something I would pull out as I know for you it's your favorite and yeah. I respect it I don't know if it's something I would pull out among others but if you I'd were say, an American Psycho character you wouldn't pull it out before you murdered someone yeah I would <laughs> and review it I would I would <laughs> it's exactly how I do it too <laughs> Well, I, I, we we talked about that a little bit before we started recording. How much we all love American Psycho, yes. and I, I think the the through line between that movie and this one is the well, the incredible acting. Yeah. I mean, obviously Christian Bale is that's a performance of a lifetime in American Psycho, but also the sharp writing. The right the, the yeah. writing is so good in both of those movies that there is that there is that thread of humor throughout what could be a, just a completely dark and macabre movie yeah yeah, yeah I mean I, I think I also like that we've referenced the influence this has had on the uh, Dark Knight in particular uh, Nolan obviously was drawing from a few moments from this movie I know Michael Mann was a big influence on that film like Heat movies like Heat but 
I definitely see the influence. He directed on that Manhunter, I think. Yes, he did. Yeah. Yes, he did. Michael Mann directed Manhunter. I'd like to see that performance of uh, Brian Cox. I mean, I yeah, think. I would like to see that too. And I, I yeah. regret not having seen that before yeah. we did Silence of the yeah. Lambs, but I would like to, to see, see Brian Cox's take yeah. on Elector. You know, and also Mickelson's character yeah. take on it uh, would be great too. Um, Scott, your overall impression? Oh, I, I, I think this is a great movie. I, I was like getting into it. I think the first time I watched it all the way through. Um, I was always hesitant just based on, you know, you hear cannibalism and... and yeah. You know. yeah, I can relate to and that. And I was always surprised that there's another serial killer. I didn't know how that kind of, like, wait, I thought Hawkins was the villain in this and there's this other guy in it. Like, <laughs> Buffalo, like you never really heard about him and then you watch it and he's like, oh, that makes perfect sense. And, uh, but I, I think it's just... Uh, I love it. I think it's like Rosemary's Baby, a movie that we just saw, like, to get out. Uh, something to get out. To get out, but these psychological... Thrillers. They're kind of, they're not horror movies, but they, 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 they uh, well, a serial killer, you know, is always going to be horrific, you know. Right. But uh, they're more psychological, and you're just trying to figure out how this get. This is gonna somehow this is going to be badly for some people. And um, but this movie, the bad people get what's coming to them, and the good people kind of win in a way. So that's. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's good to see Lecter get away with everything. It's, Lecter gets away with everything. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and it's who knows how many victims. Yeah, how many victims. Nameless victims. Yeah, I mean, he... he just, no, but he... But, like, to what we talked about earlier, he is... He's one of those villains that you end up rooting for, whether yeah. that's right or wrong, you know? It's yeah. like he's... He charms so, us, yeah, yeah, he's charmed... Yeah, in the, in the process of charming <laughs> everyone else and manipulating everyone else in the movie, you know, he manipulates the audience into just really embracing this character and this the brilliance of this man. He's like anti-hero. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's going after Ticklin, who we hate. He's right. his favorite guy. He is to uh, he is to serial killers with Don Corleone is to the mafia. Yeah, like, you that's know, a good analogy. You, 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 you love them both, <laughs> even though they're both you know morally corrupt in certain areas. And, and on AFI's yeah. list of villains, I at one point he was number one. Like, yeah. yeah, and I I don't know whether that still stands. I can't think of anything that's been made. He, he's definitely top ten. I don't know if we I don't know if we can fact check me on that one, but I know he. Is in the top ten, and um, he was. He was uh, on the heroes and villains list. He was number one. Clarice was number six. I guess she's not underrated, guys. She oh, made nice. number six on the hero Think list. about that. You got the uh, yeah. two Woo-hoo! from the same movie in the top ten yeah. out of all the thousands of movies Go that have been Clarice. made. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I could see that. That's Clarice, darling. <laughs> yeah, he was number one. Norman Bates was two, and Darth Vader. He's topped the Darth Vader. Yeah, that's, that's pretty, pretty impressive. impressive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's good work. And the Wicked Witch of the West. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> No, oh, and Nurse Ratchet, another Tyler Cougars. Yeah, five, yeah. So. Oh, then she, yeah, that's Norman a great Bates. villain. Yeah, like yeah. yeah. When you think about the ones that he's been placed ahead of, those are all fantastic like, epic characters. characters that will last forever. Nothing too. Yeah. than that scene of Norman I, I, Bates smiling at the end of Psycho. This came out like I think at the, you know the turn of the. About? This came out in the turn of the century. That list, and I bet you, like Ledger's Joker will probably end up on the. Oh yeah, list. that would get the, get on the list. Yeah, there might be some others we're not thinking of in twenty years. But Nicholson's his best comedic performances. <laughs> yeah, he uh, actually his Joker made number forty five. So oh, I guess that's there. Yeah, but he also made it as Jack Torrance, who's higher on like the twenties. So. Yeah. Uh, and the Martians. Oh yeah, The Shining. Yeah. <laughs> the Martians from World of Worlds made it too. So that's uh, at twenty seven. They're, so. they're scary. Oh, that. We'll probably do that. Oh. We'll probably do that movie. <laughs> yeah, we'll do that another time. War of the Worlds. Yeah. 
Oh, Reagan from The Exorcist. Although she's oh, not really yeah. the villain, that would yeah, be the. Yeah, she's not the villain. The yeah. Villain. Well, and another note, of, another <laughs> little fun fact about The Exorcist. The Exorcist, and again, goes back to whether we really consider this a horror film, but The Exorcist, uh, Jaws, and Silence of the Lambs are the only three. Uh, movies that were deemed horror movies to be nominated for Best Picture. Right, that's yeah. true. And so, I, I again kind of bristle at, at Silence of the Lambs being called horror, but yeah. I, I understand why like some Jaws. people do consider. And same with Jaws, like Exorcist, definitely a horror movie. Yeah. The other two, uh, yeah, I, I'm a Rosemary's little... Baby is is a horror. You know, well, well, Jaws, Jaws is like an adventure film to me more than anything. Yeah, else. I like it. But I mean, I, I think I, a lot of people I, consider it horror because it has those horrific elements of the shark eating people. Right, the blood and, and guts. I think, so, yeah. so, and, and there are definitely some horrific gory scenes much. and gory scenes in both Jaws and Silence of the Lambs. But I, but yeah, by the sheer definition of what they call a horror movie and placing those movies into that genre, those are the only three to get nominated for Best Picture. So uh, I always used like to close out the podcast by saying like the best place to to see the, a movie outside of a theater is on Blu-ray, which is my favorite format, and it is available on Blu-ray. Obviously, it's been available several times. I don't own it personally, so I can't vouch for it, but I would imagine it would probably look pretty pristine. I mean, this is a movie that's evocative and atmospheric, so you want the, probably the best possible. Sabrina just wanted to chime in and say that her favorite character is Precious. It was yeah. Precious. <laughs> yes. she hopes that Precious. What about is Jeepers? Okay. Catherine Martin's cat. <laughs> she, she was intimidated by Jeepers. What about the moths? Did she like yeah, the moths? Yeah, we didn't she get to talk about the, the sphinx moths yeah. too much, but yeah, that, that, yeah, the, we didn't really. Touch, I mean, the the insect guys are also creepy, but oh the way, yeah, the, yeah, and they, of course one of them hits on Clarice yeah. too. The worst yeah. one, That's right? Like the, the, yeah, the creepiest <laughs> of the of the maneuvering by men trying to date Clarice. So it goes to tell you later. Ladies, get an expensive handbag and men will be hitting on you. Yeah, they will. No matter who they are, they'll help to build the confidence up to do that. Well, we want to thank uh, Paul for finally getting yeah. on the yeah, podcast. Thank, thank you yeah. for having thank me. You, it was Paul. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, Paul, I know you have a lot of shows coming up that you need to promote, too. Yes, I am uh, one of the founding members of Hashtag Comedy, and we perform every Wednesday night at Shadowbox Live's Backstage Bistro. The doors open at 7.30. The show usually starts right at 8 o'clock. It's uh, $5 to get in, and it's a group of... Uh, People that have been together for going on four or five years now. We all met in a class taking improv comedy classes with Jeff Gage, the godfather of Columbus improv comedy. And here we are four and a half years later doing a weekly show at Shadowbox Live, the Backstage Bistro. And um, yeah, it's a group of, we've become a family. It's It's a great group. We love making it up on the spot, doing improv comedy with great audiences. And we love having special guests. Obviously, all of you have been a part of Hashtag productions, including mm-hmm. the upcoming Hashtag Mania, which happens every April. Um, so yeah, check us out on Facebook, Hashtag Comedy Columbus, Hashtag Comedy.com on the web. Uh, we're on Instagram. So uh, yeah, Hashtag Comedy. Love being a part of it, and it's part of what brought us together, this wonderful Columbus, Ohio improv community. And just to clarify, gang, that is the word Hashtag Instead of just the actual pound sign, correct? Yeah. So the word hashtag. If if you go to Facebook and search hashtag comedy Columbus, it'll bring you to our page, and uh, you can get tickets at hashtag comedy dot com slash tickets. If you just type in the pound sign and comedy, I don't know what's going to come up. Yeah, (laughs) we can't be responsible (laughs) for that. The link to their website's on our uh, is in the show notes on the podcast. Okay, great. You can find all the links. 
most of, all the guests that we have, all their, it's all been done before. Uh, Nest Theater, Hashtag, Columbus Unscripted, Mad Lab Theater. So they're all going to be on there. So you can check those out to see the show. Yeah, we appreciate that. And obviously some of the best conversations I've ever had about movies, not just Silence of the Lambs, has been with the three of you. And, and um, in the improv community, there there's obviously a passion for all of the arts. But yeah, we appreciate what you do to get the word out and explore yeah. our, well, pa- our mutual passion for all the great movies of our lifetimes and beyond. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I've always loved it, so it's just fun for me to do. And uh, Scott, Tony, and I all mm-hmm. are massive film buffs. And, yeah. you know, we wouldn't, and we great to have you on, guests like you that are just as passionate about particular mm-hmm. movies. Uh, I know that we have a few shows. We have Idiot Box, I believe, a show that Scott, Tony, and I are all part of. That's right. It takes place next, yep. uh, this on uh, Saturday, April uh, March twenty fifth. That's right. At eight p.m. It's a free show. Yeah. Uh, come out to Cafe Kerouac where it uh-huh. takes place. Uh, our good friend Mark Tiburzio, who's also been on the show, will be part of that cast yeah. as well as Amanda Ehring and Josh Greenwald, who have also been mm-hmm. on guests on the on the show. Yep. And Idiot Box is a sketch comedy. So if you guys enjoy Saturday Night Live or any other kind of like sketch shows <laughs> like that, you'll probably enjoy Idiot Box. Paul was one of the founding members with us on Idiot Box. Yes, and, yes. Uh, fond memories of yes. Idiot Box, and I plan on being there next weekend. So. Yeah, oh, awesome. Yeah. Great. Yeah. We got one, hey, you want to meet Paul? Come yeah. to the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an ancillary benefit. To right, yeah, you get to, yeah, you can meet all of us. If you come out to the show, we'll talk about the maybe, podcast Maybe Chick well. Valentine can, can introduce the show next yeah, week. Yeah, he can. <laughs> And what, one quick thing, I, I wasn't going to get specific on dates, but uh, hashtag Mania 4 is April 5th, mm-hmm. and um, both Tony nice. and Scott are on Team Boosh. Woo! That's one of eight teams. I'm on Team Stelzer, the captain of, of our team. <laughs> that That is, uh, that's $10 because it's the Super Bowl of comedy, so it's a little yes. bit more, but it's well worth the extra yeah. five bucks. It's April 5th, so that one... We're we're very grateful when shows sell out. They don't often sell out, but this one likely will yeah. sell out. Yeah. So yeah, hashtag comedy dot com slash tickets. April fifth. My very first hashtag mania experience. I was lucky to be on Team Stelzer. Yes, that yeah. was a great team. That was a great team. <laughs> Joe Teeters and Gary Sheriff and I think Katie Alberta. Right. That yeah. Was, yeah. We, and me. We made it to the and finals. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we did. Well, yeah, I was in addition to the two yeah. of us. Yeah, yeah. we made it through the losers back bracket to the finals and uh yeah we had a lot of fun that yeah, year that you guys lost so the team fun. boost with me on it so oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah rub salt moon that's right yeah. but y'all <laughs> all lost last year to team community i'm a member of hashtag but these are the only two hashtag mania champions like scott <laughs> and tony yeah. like i i've not been able to hold up that belt yet. So. I have yet to win anything myself either. And I've been there three, this will be my third time coming in. I'm on Team Clay this year myself. Okay, so, great, yeah, yeah. great. Well, so, Scott and I are a power couple together on Team Boosh this yeah. year. Yep, yeah. we are. And uh, that's true. That is true. That is true. You have that going. <laughs> um, but uh, like I said, uh, this is, um, it's been great to have Paul once again, finally on the podcast with a yeah. regular people. We're going to bring him back next time. Yeah, I would yeah. love to come Something back. Else. It was a great, great yeah. joy. I had a lot of fun. And uh, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, give us a five-star review if possible because we like to brag and, and yeah. you know, we like to uh, beg people for the let finest possible reviews. Yes, and let us know what you think about Hannibal and Clarice and 
if you personally have done the Buffalo Bill dance. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Admit it, we've all done it we've once. All done it. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Luckily, privately and publicly, after a couple of shots of tequila. I don't right. have to tuck those dance moves. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you very much, everybody. We'll see you Thanks, next time. Guys. All right, Bye. Take care. Your name is? Oh, uh, Jack Gordon. Mr. Gordon. Good. Um, well, Frederica used to work for Mrs. Lippman. Did you know her? No, uh uh-uh. Oh, wait. Was she a great big fat person? <laughs>